Hi, everyone. Wolf Shift Dust is back to break down the first two episodes of Beacon 23, the new space-based thriller just beginning its first two seasons on MGM+, the streamer formerly known as Epics, and the latest entry into the Hugh Howey adaptation verse after Silo earlier this year. Although, do keep in mind that I'm using the word adaptation more loosely in this case because this show so far departs wildly from that book. As I mentioned in our Beacon 23 intro episode, it seems like not a single character name has been carried over. So yes, hi, I'm Alicia and I have read the book, but I promise not to be annoying about it and also not to spoil anything that hasn't been revealed in the show yet. We'll handle it the same way we did the silo coverage because I also have to protect the innocence of my show-only co-host, right Luke? Yes, I am once again the fountain of ignorance. <laughs> Although I was following you on uh, social media, Alicia, and you were, mm-hmm. I think, quite shocked at just how far this had departed from the book. Because, like we said in the previous podcast, it's more inspired by than adapted from. But even with that being said, you seem surprised by just how far it had drifted away from the source material. Yeah, although, you know, I I went in expecting that from the trailer and and from, you know, what I'd heard, murmurs. But then I found as I was, you know, looking at it, watching it, uh, especially when I was looking into it deeper, you do see the threads, you see where they're pulling from in the book. But it is curious that they, for instance, changed all the characters. So yeah, we'll we'll talk about that more as we go. Um, But I think I'm going to be talking a lot more about I'm going to bring up when it has things from the book rather than the differences so much because it's mostly differences. Okay. Oh, um, something I noticed that that really excited me that we didn't um, get to in the preview episode is one of the producers on it is Ira Stephen Bear of um, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Mm. So yeah, the the guy really loves himself a space station. (laughs) Good, good. Yeah. Um, I think yes, someone, Elisa uh, called it dark Star Trek. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's that's that's, that's not accurate. a bad description of it, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so, what were your spoiler-free thoughts on the first two episodes? Um, I liked it. Um, I think you can definitely tell that, like we were saying in the the intro podcast, that the source material was originally short stories mm-hmm. because these are very self-contained episodes well this was like a yeah a twofer yeah um it very much kind of reminded me of um firefly which i think we talked about in Mm -hmm. a little bit in the last episode this idea of a sort of used industrial future it's not bright it's not shiny these are sort of working class people doing working class jobs they just happen to be doing it in space yeah. I was a little bit worried, and I think we'll get to it later on, that the script in a couple of cases might be writing checks that the budget can't cash. Okay. I'm thinking particularly of the zero gravity fight oh, in yeah. episode mm-hmm. two that was, if we're being charitable about this, a little bit ropey. Um, yeah. No, that's, yeah. that for me was the visual weak point, too. Yeah, so I am a, a little bit concerned that the script might be writing checks that the effects budget can't cash. Um, I thought there was good chemistry between the two leads, which mm-hmm. is going to be important. Right, this definitely. Is a, this is a two-hander. Um, just a slight moan that these are people in deep space that have perfect teeth and perfect <laughs> hair. And, you yeah, know, but this they, is the future. They have like medical patches. They just, <laughs> Of course they have perfect everything. That's yeah, this is this is this is true, but I, I I do love the fact that, that 
that Lena Headey comes out of like stasis with yeah. perfect hair and perfect teeth. It's yeah, just... I mean, okay, there's no way that they wouldn't have perfect teeth, but as far as the hair, at least in stasis, you're not, you know, rolling around like in bed. That's true. That's true, I guess. But yeah, on the whole, I enjoyed it. I have to say, it didn't grab me the way that Silo did, because it didn't okay. end... It, it, I think it didn't grab me in the sense that this is not a mystery show, I don't think. This is not a puzzle box. Well, I actually was going to say the opposite. That okay. they, they've added, again, a lot of mystery elements that aren't in the book. And, I mean, a lot of teases about, well, what is what is this agency? What are those things? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the next episode. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was... Is it a show that you would recommend to friends? Yes, I think so. And I can think of specific friends who would get a lot out, who would, who would enjoy this, to be honest. So, yeah. Of course, I can't recommend it to friends because hmm. um, it isn't streaming yeah. in the UK yet. So <laughs> that is the other thing to say. So when we are talking about the visual effects, I think it's only fair to bear in mind I am watching this on a laptop screen. So it's mm. probably not the best way to watch yeah, it. Yeah, but maybe that's actually better for, you know, if you're trying to minimize what you called ropey visual effects. That's true. But I think they did okay with like the space stuff, you know, that looks, I'm, I'm willing to squint a little bit. Okay. Um, what was your favorite episode, one or two? Uh, I really enjoyed one more than two because I thought two was sort of, it was good. I think they executed it well, but I thought two was a little bit formulaic. Like okay. if you had shown me the first 10 minutes and then stopped it and asked me to write the rest of the episode. I think I would have got, I would have more or less got there. Mm, okay. Now that, that, that's not to say that it's bad, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there, there's a certain pleasure to be gained in watching all the cogs and pieces fit together. But you prefer like one. I say, I, yeah, I, I, I've, just because I've seen episode two before, I've seen that story play out in other Okay. In other I feel the opposite for the record. I uh, preferred episode two to episode one. Um, there was more of a sense of fun and, there was, even though it was all different characters, there is like a similar thing. I'll talk a little bit more about it, I guess, when we go through the episode. But there is a similar sort of setup in the books and uh, just the kind of comedy of errors of it all. They, yeah, they leaned into it more than I dared to hope. Not as much as the book. But I said, I'll stop doing that. <laughs> um, without story spoilers yet, any favorite characters or tech? I think my favourite character so far has got to be Bartholomew. Because mm-hmm. only Solomon is allowed to call him Bart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like myself a sassy, emotionally damaged yeah. AI. Yeah. And actually, I think both of the AIs mm-hmm. are good characters. And um, speaking of somebody who was given an A-L-E-X-A for their birthday, <laughs> I'm starting to I'm starting to empathise with dealing with artificial intelligence <laughs> in a whole new way. Um. Yeah, the AI characters are also my favorites. Those are our show only invention, by the way. But uh, yeah, they bring okay. the, you know because what is would otherwise be as you say a two hander. They bring a, a little more interactivity. Someone other entities to play off of. Yeah. Yeah. So Hugh Howie he said publicly that again it's very different from his book, which he said is his favorite book he's written. But he loves them both. 
I I do hope for his sake and for you know book lovers that there will be one day a more accurate maybe movie adaptation of the book because the book is on the shorter side so it would be perfect for a, a feature length film. Um, for anyone who wants to know more about the book, check out the book club uh, link in the show notes. Abby and I broke down that episode. You'll find that there. And yeah, Luke, are you ready to get into what exactly happened in these first two episodes? Yeah, let's do it. All right, spoilers incoming right after this quick commercial break. Research request granted. Spoilers unlocked. So uh, one thing they definitely did take from the book, by the way, is the setting. So we're on a beacon in an outer sector of space manned by one person. And the goal of the beacon is to guide spaceships through, well, in the book, it's an asteroid field. Here, it seems to be like a, uh, what, what, what would what they say, dark matter or... Uh, yes, dark matter anomaly. Right, exactly. But yeah, the, the idea is to get spaceships through so they don't crash. They're a lighthouse in space. And the book has a first-person protagonist, never says his name. In the show, that person or the equivalent's name is Helen Kai Nelson, played by Stephen James. And what they do have in common is they're both soldiers suffering from PTSD. Uh, in the book, he was stationed there by NASA. He actually requested that posting himself. He wanted something somewhere quiet. And here he seems to have gone AWOL and ended up there doing the job of the mysteriously dead former beacon keeper, Solomon Smythe, played by Stephen Root. So, Luke, do you like Halen? Do you trust him? What are your Halen feelings? I mean... Uh... Until we know what happened to Solomon, you can't say that you trust him. Um, I thought the other character, Asta, that we've been going to meet in a minute, might have been a projection of Helen's subconscious. That that mm -hmm. I, I clearly got that massively wrong. Um, I do like the sequence where he's trying to warn off the ship, but I did think it's kind of a flaw in procedure that you don't need to hit that the ship apparently doesn't need to hear the beacon keeper's voice in order to just keep plowing straight through dangerous area of space yeah you should you would think that they would need confirmation that's a yeah good point. You, would, you would think that they would need some kind of confirmation but okay that's but they did what... to be fair uh they did he saw the red light and then he saw the white light flash which showed him that's the all yeah I, I guess so so yeah i thought the but i did think it shows you something about Helen's character that he is doing the job of the beacon keeper. He's not just hiding out there. Mm -hmm. He actually is attempting right. to, to navigate ships through dangerous space. And yeah, I thought this was a really nice opening scene because it does, it gives you a lot of information about Helen and it gives you a lot of world building information as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so to set up episode one, uh, it's called Corbenic, by the way, which is a word that's never used in the episode. I did search the transcripts to double check. Yeah, it's based on this word comes from Arthurian legend. So Corbenic is the name of the castle where the Holy Grail is kept by the Fisher King. And it's a castle full of fantastical things held by a king with a crippling wound who waits for the one who can heal him and his kingdom. So the name may also come from Cornucopia, which is, you know, the Horn of Plenty. Luke, do you think the rocks are the grail in this analogy? Yeah, that's the instant thing that popped into my head. Um, as we'll talk about when we get to the second episode, there are a lot of people after these particular rocks. So yeah. clearly somebody thinks they're valuable for some reason. And does that make Halen the Fisher King or Aster? Or? 
I guess Halen, because he has a crippling wound, which is the PTSD, and he's waiting for someone who can heal him in his kingdom. I guess, or maybe, maybe it's either going to be Halen or Solomon, one of the two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> R.I.P. Solomon. We barely well, knew maybe. you. But you were jerked apart, so. <laughs> <laughs> and so, anyway, the director of the episode is Daniel Percival. Uh, he's a BAFTA, another award-winning director, uh, worked on, like, The Man in the High Castle, Death Comes to Pemberley, The Walking Dead. Those are the ones I care about, but a bunch more. <laughs> and... Writer, as we said last episode, Zach Penn is a season one showrunner, and so he was a head writer in this episode. And Allison Moore was also credited. She's written for various shows that I, I have to admit I haven't watched, but she also wrote the upcoming screenplay for Wish, so I'm looking forward to that. Okay. So this starts, the episode starts in media res with uh, the camera zooms in on the space lighthouse known as Beacon 23, floating in outer space on the edge of a field of debris from a recent crash. A small ship zooms toward the beacon and Halen calls for Astra Calix, Lena Headey, who watches him in captivity on a monitor with Harmony, Natasha Mumba, who we will find out is her personal AI. In a very rapey looking maneuver, the invading shiplet grabs onto the docking bay of the beacon, plunging its gangway into her. And though Astra is in denial, the invaders are able to force the doors open, cut to black, before we jump back to earlier. Um... Luke, do you like when a show or movie starts like this, like throwing you into the middle of the action before jumping back? Yeah, no, I mean, it's um, it's a pretty well-worn trope. I didn't mind it in this particular sequence. I hadn't thought about it being rapey until you mentioned it, but actually thinking <laughs> about it, it really, really is, actually. It struck me, especially in my second watch. Yeah, no, it really is. Yeah, no, I thought, I thought, this, was a, I thought this was a good start. Yeah, they don't give you, unlike the book, they don't give you a moment to linger in the loneliness of Halen's existence. But then we do hear at the end of these two episodes that he was lonely. So I don't know, We maybe we'll get flashbacks to that. But I feel like um, I, we could have started quiet and then, you know, that's and then have this sudden crash and that kickstarts everything. Yeah, I think that's a nice way to ramp up. But I understand why they did it this way. Like new show, new network, gotta hook the eyes real quick. So, yeah, so then we, we jump back to earlier and a more sports car looking ship zooms across space, leaving a rainbow wake, which we see envelops the entire ship in a sort of bubble. The ship is traveling toward the white light of the beacon and identifies itself by radio as the crest. It's carrying five years worth of supplies for the SU colonies. Inside the beacon, Halen, who is currently alone, sees that there's a warning for a dark matter hazard in the way of the ship, but he's unable to warn the crest or turn off the beacon light. He tries a manual override, essentially jamming a staff into the machine to try to stop it, but it's too late. The crest crashes in an explosion of purple lights. And the last thing the ship says is, maybe we'll stop by for a beer in nine months. So, Luke, what do you think of the space travel design so far? There's some flaws in the space travel design. Like yeah. I say, I think it's a faulty procedure that, that you don't have to get like okay. uh, voice confirmation from the beacon keeper. But I mean like the ships. Yeah, the ship, the sports car looking ship is nice. The sort of bubble of light it's in is really well done. Is that, are we supposed to take that to mean it's traveling faster than the speed of light? Is that like a put out by an I guess they must be in order to, it's, you know, in order to have gone. But if they are, what good is the, if they are, what good is a beacon? Because by the time you see it, you're already past it. The beacon is a, it's a gravity wave broadcaster. So uh, the gravity waves 
uh, guide the ship through. So the light is actually just kind of like a visual flourish for the show. Okay. It doesn't really okay. emit a light. Yeah. Okay. Because, um, yeah, if you're traveling faster than the speed of light, by the time you've seen the light, you've already hit whatever you were supposed to be avoiding. Right, right. Yeah. No, it's not. It's about the gravity waves. Okay. Um, but what do you think of the ship design? I thought the ship design was very pretty. I like the design of the um, of the beacon because mm-hmm. it's sort of functional, industrial, but also sort of very neat and tidy and sterile, which I think yeah. sort of speaks to Helen's, you know, sort of Helen's right. Um So I think right. like the the set design is actually doing quite a bit of work in communicating the character state of mind, mm-hmm. state of yeah. being, really. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, and this is a this crash is a similar setup to the book, but in the book it's that he can't turn the beacon on and um he knows that there are two ships coming shortly. And though the first cargo vessel with eight on board does crash, he's able to get the beacon back online just in time to save a cruise liner with five thousand passengers. Okay. So it's yeah, it's interesting in the book when they do that and, you know, they have eight versus five thousand. That becomes especially interesting later in ways that I am not going to elaborate upon. But yes, you mentioned, I think, in the intro episode, there was a trolley problem element to the Mm -hmm. show. So, yeah, that makes sense. Right. And yeah, this running up and down that he does through the beacon is straight from that. But like Silo, the beacon looks much larger than the book version, like. That seems like a lot of space for one person. What do you think? I just, yeah, I just assumed that, you know, the the, the actual mechanics of the beacon must take up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. I have to say, though, you know, I, I think I might quite like life as a beacon keeper. Yeah. It looked, it looked like quite a comfortable You can just do research. Gig. Yeah, compared to Silo, it looked like quite a mm-hmm. comfortable gig. You've got all the um, soy sauce and ramen you could want to yeah. eat, so we're good. So if, uh, I was going to ask you this later, but let's ask it now. So if you were, had lost your appetites and were not eating solid foods, what one condiment would get you to eat again? Would it be soy sauce you, or think, ketchup? I or? think it might actually be soy sauce. Yeah. I'm with Asta here. Who doesn't like soy sauce? <laughs> it's true. It's got that like nice zing to it, but also. Yeah, it's yeah. got that like, like, nice umami flavor. Going. Yeah, and there's some protein in there, so. Yeah. <laughs> How long do you think Halen's been on the beacon? They don't really explicitly state that. Uh, he seems to know how it all works. Yeah, I'd say well, anywhere between anywhere between six months and a few years, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. I'm doubting years, but I could see like six months. Yeah, because I'm wondering. Yeah, I'm wondering also like how long did he and Solomon overlap? I mean, we don't know. I get the yeah. sense. No, not, I get the sense not very long. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, yeah. I I think we'll probably find that out in coming episodes, or I hope. Yeah, anyway. no, definitely. That's one of the central mysteries they're setting up. So the crest, the ship that crashed, it was ID'd as a data hauler, and later Astor says two hundred years ago we used to be able to beam data across space. So I'm wondering what changed. If it's like because they're further distances, or because there is a downgrade in the technology, or if they are protecting, you know, because. They're protecting their data because people are intercepting it. or Yeah, it could be any of that. And I'm kind of curious, because this comes up in the second episode as well, why you need to haul all these supplies to the colonies. Because surely if you're establishing a colony on another planet, the first thing you do is build like a big hydroponics bay. Yeah, that's what I was wondering too. Yeah, like what kind of 
world is this where they can't farm or and set up their at least produce local food and supplies that are yeah it's like you surely you're thinking if you can't do that on a particular world it's not a particularly good candidate for colonization i don't don't yeah or maybe i mean maybe this is a statement upon the the fact that um they are trying to the central whatever what if this is earth i guess the central government is trying to keep everyone dependent upon them and so they intentionally don't set up so that they are self-sufficient yeah i mean i I, like i say i was getting sort of strong firefly serenity vibes Mm. with uh you know with the parliament and the packs and everything it's sort of space space colonization but sinister space colonization yeah and uh, I have to call out a visual effect that's cool, but I think inaccurate is, you know, when he looks out the window, you can see these swirls of galaxies, which is gorgeous. But I don't think it's realistic. You'd have this clear view of a bunch of galaxies with your bare eyes anywhere in space. But anyone with more astrophysics knowledge, please yeah. feel free to correct me. It sure is pretty, though. It is pretty. Yeah. Uh, the explosion was also lovely. But after the explosion, Halen sees that there's a sleep pod floating in space with someone still alive inside. So he goes out to haul it in, giving us a chance to see his local ride, the Picker, with its handy arm attachments. Once safely inside, after an opening credit sequence that takes us on a visual tour of the beacon, out pops Aster, detaching glowing tubes from the sides of her neck as she sits up, gasping in disorientation. Halen tries to comfort her, greeting her with water and some sort of patch that is absorbed into her skin, making her feel instantly better, physically at least, because he also has to tell her the crest crashed and everyone else died. He thinks he's been hacked. So the beacon keeper in the book does go out for rescue after receiving signs of life at this point, but it's not after he comes back with. And yeah, very interesting med tech. Uh, this derma patch looks different from the prints we see later, but still, internet points for you, Luke. Yeah, internet points for me. I have to say, everybody is tripping balls on this show. Everybody's <laughs> tripping balls on this show. It's like, uh, it comes up, I think, in the next scene, but Lena Headey is not just feeling better. She is high as a yeah. kite. Well, it's like... <laughs> I was talking about my friend was saying her daughter gets this, and I also have this effect. Uh, when I have ibuprofen or another like non-steroid uh, painkiller like that, I get hyper. Like it gives me like a euphoric feeling, and that's what it looked like with her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Also, is this just me, or did you have to do like a slight double take? Because I've gotten that used to seeing um, Lena Headey with the Cersei Lannister blonde hair. It just didn't look okay. right there for a second. Oh, for for me, it was like. Um, why they're both great actors both beautiful people uh but for her i was like okay stop seeing her as who she is and you know start seeing her as this new character you see i've actually got a name for that i call that idris elba syndrome okay um because there comes a point and like amelia clark um suffers from this as well Mm -hmm. There, there comes a point where you see people outside of being a character so much you know they're on adverts they're on talk shows Wrong, whatever that your brain just goes, What's Lena Headey doing in space? <laughs> Why is it Drisoba on this plane? Yeah, it's like it's not, it's not to say they're doing bad performances, something no, is no, broken no, great in performances, your brain yeah. where you can't see the yeah. character. But I'm, I'm really enjoying, by the way, I mean, Lena Headey's doing a great job as I would expect, but I, I'm loving Stephen James, I'm finding him very interesting to watch and uh, yeah, really curious about his character. He's got whatever that X thing is that. Mm-hmm. that people talk about with actors 
the camera just likes it. Like he's got visual presence. Yeah, it's not just he's got a very pretty face, obviously, but it's not just that. It's yeah, uh, yeah, presence. So looping back around to talking about them all getting high. Uh, did you notice that when he was sitting against the gravity wave broadcaster, the GWB, sometimes he calls it the Gwib in the book, um, this he gets kind of a buzz off of it. Yeah. You see that expression on his yeah. face. So yeah, ev- everybody is dripping balls in this universe. And also, is that because um, after Lena Headey's recovered a bit, she's sort of eating something. Is that supposed to be hummus? It did look like hummus. Yeah. I, that's what I thought too. But I think... He called it something else, but now I don't remember what. But I thought to myself, I think that on set, that's just hummus. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so the two of them get a bite in a surprisingly well-kitted dining area for an intended party of one and enjoy the sweet view. A floating bot enters the room, a beta series apparently, beeping and booping, and Halen introduces himself as Solomon. Aster says she knows she was already headed there. She pretends to be working for ISA, the Intergalactic Space Agency. She's been sent to investigate reports sent months ago about mineral deposits with isotopes unlike anything she's ever seen before. Alan pretends to know what she's talking about, but angrily refuses to let her access any data because of malfunctioning stuff and protocols or whatever. And Aster, of course, totally not suspicious after all this, agrees to go rest. Wink. Making sure to palm a kitchen knife as she leaves. And Luke, how are you feeling about Aster at this point? Do you trust her? Or... Well, I mean, just before we get to Aster, I've got to say, Helen is one of the most unconvincing liars. <laughs> she calls him out on that later. It's like, yeah, reports, things. Yeah, I remember that. It's like, <laughs> okay, uh, I know you were thrown. I know you weren't expecting that, but seriously, dude, I have more of a poker face. Yeah, she says so to, to Harmony later. She's like, he's a terrible liar. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I don't know what to make of Aster. I'm not sure what her motives really are. I think the the one thing that connects her and Helen, and there's probably a through line in the entire story, is loneliness. Mm-hmm. Because I think she, she talks later on in the episode about how much time she spent in suspended animation, and that mm-hmm. means that, the, you know, her mother's dead, she's never going to see her sister again because they're kind right. of out of sync with each other in terms of time. Um... So, I think I I got the sense of like Aster is trying to. This is like you know one big last score for her to get out of this particular line of work, whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what's going to bring Helen and Aster together is they're two profoundly lonely people. No, exactly. I I do have a logistics question. So if she was headed here, why did the crest say see you in eight months or nine months or whatever it's like? I assume that they were like she was gonna like leave in the pot we assume They were just that, gonna like launch her in a yeah, pod or we something. Assume, we, assume, <laughs> we assume that that was like a lifeboat. But maybe she was leaving the crest via the pod anyway. Maybe that was No, what was yeah, no, to but it, that that like coffin like thing she was in wasn't supposed to be floating in space. That was only because of the crash. Oh, okay. I thought she that... would have died if he hadn't rescued her. Okay. I thought they might use that as like a sh- uh, another version of the pickup basically. It's like a short range. Oh, no, 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 transport no. Transport. Okay. That was just a Yeah, yeah no, that that is a bit of a logistical goof then cuz Yeah, just but she she couldn't have come from anywhere else as far as I know. No, I don't think so. So how much do you think that the two of them are bluffing each other? Because 
we find out later she's not working for the ISA either. Oh, they're both lying through their teeth. Yeah. Um, she's but, just better at it. Yeah, she's just she's just much better at it. And you get the strong sense this is not her first rodeo. This is not the first time she's had to bluff her way out of a difficult situation. Yeah. So, yeah, she's clearly a much better liar than Helen is. Yeah, and by the way, uh, so ISA is a change from the book from NASA's the one who runs all this in the book, but it makes sense to me that they would have an intergalactic name. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. And I love that line about I've never seen this side of Orion before because it's just like a nice little nugget of dialogue to give a sense of how far we are from Earth and like how casually she says it shows how common this kind of travel is now. Yeah. It's like if, you know, you go to South America, it's special, you know, and you look up and you say, oh, I've never seen the sky from the Southern Hemisphere. It's special. It's an experience, but it's uh, not unheard of. You're not the first person to have done it. Yeah. (laughs) So in the other room, Aster pulls her personal AI device out of her pocket and wakes Harmony, who is feeling out of sorts, but senses that Aster is also off. Aster says she's concerned she can't trust, quote unquote, Solomon. Harmony says she needs time to recover herself. And then, with clearly no intention to rest, feeling good from her derma patch, Aster goes exploring. She sees that all the controls are labeled with stickers, while Halen accuses the floating bot, we'll soon find out as Bart, of withholding information about Aster coming. He tells Bart it'll be the bot's fault if Halen has to get rid of Aster. Bart approaches Aster as he's looking through a scientific journal she's found approaches Aster as she's looking through a scientific journal she's found, apparently impressed by what's inside. She can't understand Bart's beep bops, but follows him to search for the rock samples. She notices a bullet mark on Bart's casing, that there are records of someone leaving the beacon a lot without permission, and then she's shown a video of the real Solomon. She's on to Halen now. And then he walks in just then, angry at her for snooping, and now he knows she knows. He confesses his real name, and says the real Solomon stole his ship and left. He demands to know when ISA is coming to pick her up and notices her knife. They struggle, she wounds him, and he knocks her out with a chokehold. So do you believe, Halen, Luke, uh, that he didn't kill Solomon? I think there's more going on here than either Halen or Bart, who is the only other eyewitness, are prepared to admit. I think we're going to find out that this is like a Rashomon kind of deal, that from Bart's point of view, it might look like Halen murdered Solomon, but that's not actually what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I was wondering what kind of, which of Stephen Root's many performances we were going to get, and it turns out we're going to get sort of slightly haughty, annoying <laughs> Stephen Root. And also, I want to know what he was cooking that required the oven to be preheated to 350 degrees and Bart to print out a couple of sheets of ginger. I'm obsessed, <laughs> I'm obsessed with the food situation on this beacon. <laughs> yeah, so the other thing that sort of struck me in this scene is the fact that Halen is prepared to... He says he's prepared to kill Asta, but I don't mm-hmm. really, be- I I don't don't, really believe yeah. that he is. I agree, um, I don't believe him either. Yeah. But also, is it just me or did we miss a bit? Because Halen gets stabbed in the chest and we never see him sew himself up or anything, but he seems fine. No, yeah, but I think that with their medical technology, that's no problem at all. Just, you know, he put her in there. We never see him make the bed for her either, but we see that it's there. So he put her in the bed. He 
stitched himself up, did a little patch, probably almost insta healed. Yeah. And he's fine. Um, but it is worth noting that he doesn't have a ship. So I wonder, you know, he said that Solomon took it and left, but obviously also Solomon seems to have died there somehow or something, or unless Solomon took it and left and something. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, this is also where we see Halen chilling with the GWB, looking at a picture of a lighthouse on Earth. Um, now, the lighthouse is in the trailer. It made it look like it was an animated picture, but it's not actually moving. It seems to be some sort of hallucination. The lighthouse is one of my favorite things from the book, this picture, and just the way it's used as a metaphor that changes as the book goes on. So I just wanted to uh, read the first time that this lighthouse photo is mentioned. So it says, uh, across from the GWB and right above the best porthole for watching the asteroids twirl in space, there's a faded picture that some former resident put up, which is why I suspect I'm not the only one who sits here. In the picture, a man in slickers is standing outside an actual Earth-based lighthouse. A wave taller than the lighthouse looms behind him, must be 20 meters high. The wave is slamming into this tapered pillar of stone, and you figure it's the last shot of the lighthouse and the man that this tidal wave utterly destroys both of them in the next fraction of a second, and that the man is smoking his pipe and squinting up at what must be a drone with a camera or something. Like he's thinking, that's the most curious thing, and has no idea his ticket is about to get punched from behind. I've spent more time looking at this poster than I have at the field of stars and rocks out the window. For a while, I assumed it was computer-generated. You can never tell with these things. Sometimes the real looks fake, especially when you've looked at the fake for so long. But why would anyone hang up some CGI with such reverence? The paper is slick. Not like the thermal crap we print out here. And there's not a crease on it, which means it was brought flat-packed or in a courier roll. Either way, someone took some care in getting it here. So I assume the damn thing is real. I assume this guy is real, that he's having his last toke there at the end of his tiny world and his tiny life. I get a good gwib buzz staring at this photo, sometimes for hours, while I wait for a CPU to need a reboot or some ship to come out of hyper and ask for directions or give me some news of the war. This man is taking a maelstrom with a shrug and a deep drag like he's such a cool boss, such a cool customer. Meanwhile, I lose my shit over some distant infernal clicking sound. The lighthouse keeper was my hero for the longest time until I learned more about that photo. So I'll stop there because presumably, since they've shown it to us, we will learn more about this photo in the show. But Luke, what do you think the lighthouse picture means to Halen or in the show in general? Well, I mean, I'm not sure, but I think I recognize this poster. Okay. I think I used to own this poster or something very similar to it. Tell me more. Well, just just it was the same picture, except mine was in black and white of a, okay. a wave breaking around a lighthouse mm-hmm. with a guy standing outside. So it was not the same picture. It was a very similar one. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think I think this is an actual picture. Mm-hmm. I think it does actually exist. <laughs> um yeah, so it, that was that was kind of a, that was kind of my Leo pointing me. Yeah. Okay. Cool. For the episode. Yeah, well, I don't want to oversell it as some mystery to solve, uh, unless the show makes it that way. But I doubt it. But in in the book, at least, it's meaningful to the protagonist, but in like a more symbolic way. So it's something that keeps coming back. I definitely had either that picture or a very similar one as a poster. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, Aster comes to with a soft cuff around her ankle, preventing her from walking more than a few paces from the wall. And she notices a scraping pattern on the floor at the furthest point of this tether, indicating someone has been locked up like this before. Harmony and Bart have their meet cute when she appears before him to introduce herself, and he tells her what happened to Aster. Harmony realizes his vocalization function has been blocked and unblocks it so he can talk, voiced by Wade, Boggart, or Brian. Halen wakes up to find Aster is no longer cuffed to the wall, the bed he put her in empty. He searches for her, finding Harmony, who looks human, and lures him into the airlock with curiosity as to how she got there, giving Bart and Aster a chance to lock him in. Aster knows Halen is a soldier gone AWOL, and Bart would like Halen to call him by his full name, Bartholomew. <laughs> Thank you very much, because Halen is no Solomon. Bart also says that Solomon was murdered after being imprisoned and tortured. Halen doesn't deny it, but says that's only half the story. Apparently, neither he nor Bart care to share the rest yet. Aster leaves Halen to go scrubbing through Solomon's videos for clues, but no answers yet because he was hiding information even from Bart, who doesn't know why Solomon took 172 trips over nine years to collect these rocks from somewhere. But Harmony confirms the rocks contain an unknown element and tells Aster her gamble paid off. Aster asks Bart to scan the beacon to look for more silicate matter, more rocks. So, looks like Solomon's the one who left uh, scrapes on the floor, right? Or Halen did when he tied Solomon up. But it looks like uh, the scrapes were left by someone who walked to the furthest point of the tether, and then it's like in an arc for as far ah, as I okay. can go. I was wondering in this scene, do the AI imprint on the humans that they're like twinned to? I mean, I have questions about why Bart is the way he's being, but even Harmony does. So Harmony doesn't think Bart's acting normal. Yeah. But I, I just wonder whether either the AI like imprint on the human they're meant to serve or whether the AI are tweaked, their, their personality profiles are tweaked so they will like the human that they're paired with or that their personalities are designed so that the human would like them. Because like Harmony and Aster, the way they play that, they play it as if they're friendly, not yeah. as if. Harmony is like Aster's servant. But Solomon's terrible to Bart in those videos. It breaks my yes, heart but, that Bart's but, so loyal but, to him. But that's that's what I'm saying. Does Bart imprint on Solomon in the way like a duckling imprints imprints on a duck? I have theories that Solomon's been messing with Bart's code, um, and then we're gonna find that out next episode. But we'll see. Are you still hoping for an AI romance? Yeah, I really am. I want an AI love story. <laughs> <laughs> as, uh, as, Har as Harmony helps put Bart's shattered cognition back together again. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm open for it. I, I, that could yeah. Be fun. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, if you, if you want something different, if you want the show to go off in a different direction, I want AI romance. Yeah. Um, any thoughts about the rocks? Um, we were really not given any information about them other than that they, other than that. They are unknown and they contain unknown elements mm -hmm. and that they dissolve when you try and pull them apart. So really all they are at this point is sort of bog standard MacGuffin. Okay. No, yeah, I'm curious. So yeah, Bart is definitely for me so far a highlight of the show. He makes me laugh constantly bringing up the brutal homicide. <laughs> but I've, I, my guess is that Solomon seems to have wiped his memory about how mean Solomon was to him or just something is up. Somebody's been tampering with Bart for sure. And probably Solomon. 
Maybe, but I sort of took that that the AI sort of imprints on the human it's paired with, so that like the AI is loyal to that human. No, but Harmony's like, bro, you are not being normal. <laughs> she's like, you oh, need to true. run a self-diagnostic. That's true. Yeah. So Harmony, she's concerned that Halen isn't faring well after the isolation he's been through in the Beacon, but she's interrupted when a quantum data packet arrives from something called a cutter. An extraction team is en route to arrive in 35 to 40 hours. Luke, what do you think a cutter is? Well, I mean, if it's if they're taking this from Earth history, it's a fast ship. Because, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tea cutter. It's a tea cutter. Okay. Um, that's what that is. So they were, they were ships that, that crossed the Atlantic quicker than the average ship. Okay. So that's what I took that to mean. No, that's probably correct. Handy information. Thank you. And Aster brings Halen soy sauce, as we said, because she noticed he wasn't eating. And Halen insisted he did not kill Solomon, but his temper tantrum isn't convincing Aster she should let him free. We, the audience, can see there seems to be some sort of battle flashbacks running through his head. He apologizes, asks to just take the picker and go as a deserter. He needs to get away before the ISA shows up. But she can see he's traumatized, and as we learn later, she knows it's not the ISA who's showing up to extract her anyway. So yeah, the picker, that little ship, it's called the lifeboat in the book. They're calling it the picker in the show. Fine. Uh, did you catch anything from those flashbacks that we saw him having, though? Well, I don't think he's got PTSD. No. Um, as we'll find out in the second episode, he's got um, tons of implants. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's sort of standard practice to enhance soldiers. I think it's much more likely that one or more of those implants is malfunctioning. Mm-hmm. Because Aster is just diagnosing Helen as having PTSD from something she heard. And Bart actually says it's been like 76 years since the last recorded case because soldiers are like routinely medicated. Although that that's... I guess we'll kind of accept that because it's future tech and who knows, but that's not really how PTSD works. But anyway, so I think it isn't PTSD. I think one of his implants, one or more of his implants is malfunctioning. Okay. And so he's he's literally he's literally reliving memories. Well, yeah, Bartishers asked her that PTSD has been eliminated from the military 73 years ago. Um, oh, 73, not 70, sorry. Yeah, well, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Aster is pretty sure that's what she's seeing. So luckily, there seems to be a magic medicine that soldiers are given after battle to make it go away. And Aster, realizing Halen skipped his last dose, prints them out for him and brings it to him against Bart's wishes, who locks her in too until she eventually convinces him Halen's not going to try to escape. Um, do you think the prints are just like the janky local ripoff of the derma patches, like how they print their food? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I took from it. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I think I shouldn't overthink how the medicine works because, as we see here, it's the hardwired memories that cause the PTSD. So, and as you're saying, maybe they are literally hardwired. Yeah, I just think a that makes more sense, and b. I just hope it's not PTSD because if if it is PTSD, it's such a cliche. It's they, I, okay, okay. I have to stop you here because PTSD is like one of the central things from the book. So it would be okay. It's it's should be PTSD. I mean, okay. like it can be this literal hardwiring that you're saying, but uh, yeah, it's not. Would not be a bad thing okay. for them to add it. It would. 
That's it's a huge part of the core of this character. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So this is also when Aster says she doesn't think Halen's a good liar. Uh, do you think that means she believes him that he didn't kill Solomon? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I'm I'm not convinced until until I see a body. I'm not convinced Solomon is dead. Like, okay, I think I think like you say, I think it's perfectly possible he reprogrammed Bart, stole Helen's ship, and but then would, you know, skedaddled. Wouldn't yeah? Wouldn't Helen Halen say he's not dead? I don't know. It's yeah. It seems like why doesn't Helen speak up to defend himself? Say say things. Tell, say what really happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I love the line, by the way, when Aster's about to go into the cell, she says, Harmony, in the event of my demise, please emphasize in the report that Bart warned me. (laughs) 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 Some good laughs in there. (laughs) Um, So Aster tries to warn, uh, tries to win Halen's trust by telling him a story about being in quarantine on a cargo port for 74 days. She was evaluating a potential mine on an exoplanet out there and was forced to quarantine before returning, and the cargo ports was the only place she could, and she had nothing to do there but masturbate and face her thoughts, like how she'll never see her sister again, because by the time she could travel to see her, Aster would still be the same age, but her sister would be dead, and she's afraid if she ever takes time off work, she'll be demoted. But Bart, no longer afraid Halen is a flight risk, lets her out. Halen takes the prince, and Harmony privately calls Aster's quarantine story out as bullshit. Uh, Luke, <laughs> where are your trust levels at? Where is um, Aster falling now on the Juliet to Simsnard scale? Oh, um, she's way towards Simsnard. Yeah. But then again, I don't think anybody in this show is towards the Juliet end of the scale at mm. the moment. It's like yeah. everybody is lying to everybody. Harmony's innocent. She never did anything. <laughs> Um, not yet, anyway. Yeah. But but when she was telling the story, until Harmony called it out as bullshit, I believed that story. I thought that was absurd. she's a much better liar. Yeah, I believed that story, and I I do believe the bit about her being you know out of time with her sister and having spent so much time in mm. in like suspended animation. That that I think is true. Um. I think, yeah, I do think that that part's true, too, because that seemed to be the part that really affected her emotionally. But what's interesting is the level of detail she gives in this story, because studies show that people who are lying often provide excessive details. Mm. So that's that that might be her tell if we're looking in the future to try to figure out when she's lying. So, yeah, it sounds like they travel in cryosleep uh, suspension, as they call it here. But so it seems like they travel faster than the speed of light, like we were talking about with that like rainbow bubble they're in. Um, but clearly not. They don't seem to have found wormholes or anything to travel. Yeah, even no, and that. also that they're traveling a they're traveling a very 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 long way as well. Yeah. So it's pretty, so you probably need some combination of FTL and like suspended animation. Yeah. Oh, by the way, talking about like sci-fi influences. Every time somebody's in suspended animation, it always has to look like the opening scene from Alien. Like <laughs> nobody has nobody has thought of another way of shooting that. Well, I don't. I mean, I guess if you just think about you know, with the pod and everybody slowly waking up. But Alien doesn't get the credit for that. Snow White, I think, gets the credit for that. To be honest. Okay. Yes. Yes, that makes sense. <laughs> um. 
Okay, so in the books, they're calling back to Houston. Here, we don't really know where the headquarters of the Galactic Empire is. Um, <laughs> where? What do you think Earth is like in this universe? Do you think it's like paradise or uh, you know? No, ruined? I get this. I get. I get this. I don't think it's either. I get the sense that this is a much more sort of industrial um, future. Mm. So if I had to imagine Earth, it would be something like. Maybe Coruscant out of Star Wars or Geedy Prime out of Dune. It's sort of, I get the sense this is a very industrial, heavily industrialized future. So, yeah, probably ruined, but not ruined. Just over industrialized, basically. Okay, fair. And interestingly, Aster says that she says she was in Sector 91. In the book, the beacon was Sector 8 nearly nine, which is considered one of the most distant places from the Earth to be. So this kind of sets it like the beacon is larger. It sets up the whole expanse of space that they're traveling through is larger, too. And by traveling through, I mean, in in the things they talk about, not that you should expect these characters to leave the beacon to go traveling. So Bart hears Harmony when she says like, oh, that's that was an inspired story before he's sent away. Do you think this will come back later that he kind of knows, has a sense that Esther was lying? Yeah, prob- probably. Yeah. Probably. I think he's going to call her out in the future. Yeah. Well, Bart better be careful or he's going to go back to beeping and booping. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, but so Aster makes sure to memorize the details of her quarantine story, which comes in handy later when Halen tests her on which sector it was. But it seems she really did go in there with the meds to help him. Halen calls Aster back downstairs, saying he's remembered something he wants to tell her in person. And she does, but brings a weapon that looks like a knuckle duster, but sends out powerful punches of energy doing area damage. Uh, What do you think of the weapons tech, Luke? I like the weapons tech. I like these yeah. kind of anti-gravity. We will see them more in episode two, these kind of anti-gravity weapons. Um, and it, it makes sense because obviously you can't use bullets in a space station. So it makes sense that you would have some sort of directed uh, energy weapon. And I like, like I said, I like the knuckle duster. Yeah. Uh, the little knuckle duster version of it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, Halen clocks the weapon, but he's here to negotiate He'll tell her what he knows in exchange for release and the picker to leave. With 30 hours left until extraction, she agrees. Do you think she ever meant to keep her promise? No. <laughs> no. It doesn't no, seem I don't so later. So. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I believed her at the time, but again, she's the better liar. <laughs> yeah. So Halen shows her the button Solomon forbade him from touching, and though Bart says they're wasting their time, he shares that it used to open the door to the maintenance room for the microwave antenna, an antenna that was disconnected a hundred years ago. So Asta realizes it's now a useless room that would be a perfect place to hide something. Bart gets more panicky, demanding to know if Aster is stupid or corrupt to be working with Halen, and Harmony says she'll explain to Bart how things are assuring him Halen will be taken care of. She calls Bart's behavior unacceptable and commands him to run a self-diagnostic. Do you think Bart will find something amiss in his code? I, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think he finds anything um, janky in his code. Um, no. Although I found it interesting that the Harmony tells Bart to run a diagnostic and he does it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like... If one of the humans had said that to Bart, I could see this being an Asimov situation where he has he has to do what they say. 
But why is he doing what Harmony tells him to do? She's just another AI. Maybe she's a higher ranking AI. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe she's a higher ranking AI. <laughs> so on the way up to this door that they found the button for, Aster finds clothing in one of the cases, which she, which seems to give her a thought, but she doesn't share it. What do you think she was thinking? You know, she like clutches this clothing and then says, oh, nothing and keeps going. Maybe she was thinking, you know, this was Solomon's clothing. It sort of adds credence to the idea that Helen might have killed him. Mm, um, could be. I guess. I, that was that was the only thought that occurred to me. Yeah, okay. Uh, so a- Aster opens the hatch to the room with the rocks, and Halen gets a strong flashback and runs away in a panic. Aster calms him, but he swears there's something in the room that came after him. Seems like those prints aren't working, or do you think they really work much at all, or it's just propaganda? I think they work to some extent, um, but I think I think in addition to the PTSD, I think there's a hardware problem here with one of his implants. I think he's seeing things because the memory of one of those implants is playing up. But so, how is this implant? There's like a camera that's recording the memory, or how? Yeah, because this... they they say in episode two he they've got one in the the. I'm sure brain, he has. He's got yeah. one in the he's got one in the brainstem. He probably has so, one in his eye. Yeah, so I assume the the one in his eye and the one in his brainstem probably like recording every sensation, everything he sees, everything he feels. But then this must be something that happens with other soldiers too. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that it is, but and I'm sure that um, but the thing is, he's deserted. So my guess is when it happens to other soldiers, it's repaired, mm. or those other soldiers are eliminated. But Helen's sort of out there on his own. Okay. That was just my head counting yeah. for it anyway. I mean, but it does seem to be triggered by proximity to the rocks. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's true. So maybe the rocks are interfering with the, the hardware. Yeah. Uh, so Aster finally gets up to the hidden room and there are not only rocks there, but they are each glowing on the inside. She goes back to Halen, locked in the airlock again, but she refuses to honor her side of the deal. She says they won't care he went AWOL and that him staying is the best chance for both of them. So we know it's not ISA coming, but this other mysterious group, um, do you think Aster fears for her safety if she lets him go? Do you think she's thinking they'll let him join the team, whatever this QTA is? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure she's thinking that far ahead. I'm just thinking that that she thinks if if they let him go, he's either going to die because the pickle won't get him very far, or if he does manage to reach somebody else, he'll tip them off of what's going on on the beacon. All right. Well, Bart gets very aggro with Halen, saying he wants to torture him and that he turned off his sound so no one would hear him if he screams. He has a good point. He says, you silenced me once. Let's see how you like it. Uh, but yeah. do you... Bart, Bart, that was malevolent, Bart. That was proper HAL 3000. Yeah. <laughs> version of Bart that was. But then again, you know, um Bart has a point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that Bart is gonna get fixed, but I'm kinda kind of miss the murder bot setting. Like he's reminding <laughs> me he's reminding me in personality of a beloved droid from Star Wars called Chopper from Rebels and Ahsoka. <laughs> <laughs> but Ahsoka only watchers don't realize in in Rebels he's very murderous. So 
Aster, she's playing with her new rocks, and she notices that as she chips off part of the glowing interior, when it falls to the table, it immediately dissolves in a puff of smoke. Aster says she just needs to slow it down to figure out what it is, and Harmony says she'll print out a collisional cooling unit. So these Omni printers sure seem useful. Other than money, what would you what do you most wish you could print out on command? Um, other than money, <laughs> I'll have to get back to you on that one. Because like clearly they clearly they used to print food, so I think that that would be yeah. that would that would be quite cool. Yeah, um, they. I mean, you can three D print food now. It's yeah, you can you can three D print meat, can't you? Mm-hmm. And other stuff. Um. I know this is a gripe you can have with any number of sci-fi shows and Beacon 23 is not alone in this, but you are dissecting an unknown element. You have no idea what this is or how it interacts with the human body and you're doing it without wearing a hazmat suit or any kind of protection. You're just there in your sleeveless vest playing with this unknown element. Like, (laughs) seriously, you are asking to catch alien viruses, Aster. You are just Begging to catch alien viruses. Yeah, no, that's this is a good point. Maybe that's what happened to Solomon. Maybe that's why he became such an asshole. I maybe, just, yeah, falling probably not, but maybe. Who knows? But just, just, just that is just one of those things that you see it in show after show after show. And it's just, oh, it's just really annoying because <laughs> just wear a hazmat suit. Yeah. I also have to point out that they must have really advanced in the technology because these 3D printers must print very fast because there's no way in our world a 3D printer could print out an entire machine within 30 hours. (laughs) (laughs) No. But then Halen sees the little cruiser from the opening scene approaching and calls to Aster. Bart warns her the whole beacon will explode if Aster tries to fire on the invaders. And of course, they get in. Aster traps them on the lower levels with Halen. End of episode. Um, Luke, you saw this first episode on Amazon where they're offering it for free to anyone with Prime in the US or with a VPN. Do you think it's enough to get people to sign up for the free MGM Plus trial, those who can? Yeah, I think I certainly want to see what happened next. Mm-hmm. I think it's a nice cliffhanger to end it on. And like I say, I think that the I think the thing that makes the show um worth watching for me is the the chemistry between the leads. I wouldn't say it's a formulaic show, but it's not like Silo. I think I'm just comparing it to the other Yuawi adaptation. Mm-hmm. Silo really gripped me with the plot. This gripped me more with the characters, as he said. Okay, yeah, I think that's that is accurate to the book because the book is sort of it, the book is often more of a hang where you're pondering deep questions, uh, but then there are like sequences of very gripping or comedic even action at times yeah okay so the story from episode one leads right into episode two which is called wreckers and wreckers that's uh, from the book like shipwreckers so just a quick excerpt from the book in the days of seabound ships when hulls were made to keep water rather than vacuum out and hazards to navigation were submerged rocks not the floating in space kind there was a dishonest profession of men known as wreckers. Wreckers did just as their name implied. They wrecked ships for a living. A brutal, murderous living. This was a lighthouse I was standing in, and lighthouses were not always appreciated. Lighthouses, you see, were bad business for the men who relied on wrecks for a living. So I think that, yeah, that tells us a lot about 
the motivation of these characters who invade in this episode. What do you think? Yeah, and you can tell from the very first that these are clearly wrong-uns because <laughs> they're wearing oxygen masks and parkas, which is a right. combination that in space shows is never, never signifies anything good. <laughs> I mean, um, they, hey, at least they're properly cautious entering a new space and not knowing what they're. That's quality. that's true. At least they are. At least they are taking proper precautions. Uh, so the director of this episode is again Daniel Percival, and the writing credit went to Zach Penn. And this one picks right up off the tail of the previous one. Like I said, I can definitely see why they released these two together this week. Uh, we get a crew of five breaking in. There's Battle, Paulino Nunes an asshole but he seems to be the leader and Kennedy Marnie McPhail Diamond is the brains of the operation the alien language speaking big face Danny Klupsch is the muscle uh, they have an unnamed hacker Cyrus Fared credited only as tech worker and Kennedy's son Chick Jaden Knoll completes the crew uh, were you entertained by this troop of vagabonds um yeah I was and particularly the amount of bitching and backbiting mm-hmm. um, between the five of them is quite funny, particularly, like you say, Battle and the character he refers to as Minister. And we'll find out why that is later on in the episode. Yeah. Um, but I love I love the way they walk onto the, the beacon and Battle, the leader, takes off his gas mask and breathes in the oxygen like it's fine wine or something. Mm-hmm, and yeah. you get the sense that, that these are five people who have been living together in a very small spaceship for a long time and that there are a lot of very human smells in that space. <laughs> He's really enjoying like the clean, recycled air of the, of the beacon. Yeah, because this is not fresh air either. But for him, I, you know, if you've been on a smaller spaceship, getting onto a station like this is a chance to stretch your legs. So, yeah, spoiler for the end of the episode, we're currently spoiling, but most of them will eventually die. Did that bother you? No. Nope. <laughs> you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. <laughs> and let, let's face it, they are all trying to kill Aster and Halen, the two main characters. So, yeah, they got what they deserve, basically. Yeah, fair. Uh, it does reflect the book in the sense that in the book, there's a sequence of bounty hunters that show up after the crash, and not everyone makes it out of that alive Uh, in the book the wreckers were just outside the beacon picking up the cargo that spewed out in space and the bounty hunters they the bounty hunters were searching for a person not for rocks so but in this show the tech wrecker pulls out a squishy goopy looking tube plugging it into his own stomach and a biomedic interface and the circuitry of the beacon station um do these organic tubes remind you at all of Lynch's Doom or maybe like Terra Gilliam movies? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I was also thinking of like, did you ever watch, there's a Keanu Reeves movie from like the mid-90s, like Johnny Mnemonic? Oh, okay. Yeah, and they've got like these things where they, or oh, the Matrix where they like plug these things into the back of their heads. And stuff, and their their brain is like a computer interface. Yeah, uh, it reminded me of that a little bit as well. Yeah, oh, I think it's it's a to we have the hardness of you know the sterility as you put it of everything else, and then this organic tech. Oh, it's an interesting twist. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Kennedy is apprehensive. She says they were supposed to stay in the debris field. We later find out breaking into a beacon earns you a life sentence, but Battle wanted to stretch his legs, as we said, and get some fresh air and is sure there must be stuff to steal here. 
Aster hides the rocks, and Bart suggests shutting the air off on the lower levels to suffocate the intruders. Bonus points that that would also take out Halen. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess Bart must be programmed not to kill Halen unless commanded because because Halen seems to be sleeping with both eyes closed, so he doesn't seem too worried that this robot that clearly wants him dead is going to kill him. Um, by the way, if you, if you were looking at, like, Bart's funny lines, I love that, and their sacrifice will it's not so... be in vain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So good. <laughs> yeah, so Harmony starts using facial recognition to look up their visitors. Big Face's name, it turns out, is Madanchi Trituhuma from the mining camps in the Outer Arms, brutal places that breed brutal people. So, yeah, you were wondering about the names, Luke. Looks like they're just code names, like they're alter egos, so to speak. Um, do you think, other than the minister, do you think the rest know each other's real identities? Um... No, I I don't th- I don't think they do to be honest because this sort this doesn't strike me as a particularly happy or well integrated crew. This is just five people who are sort of working together because they have comp they have complementary skills. I mean, like mm. you say, there's literally the leader, the brains, the hacker, and the right. the hacker <laughs> and the muscle. Like literally, they all. Fit. Well, I mean, but this is a heist crew, yeah, put together by this organization, presumably. Yeah. I did also like that she was talking about that people on these mining colonies have like increased muscle mass and bone density. Yeah, so maybe they have heavier uh, gravity. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. The living in this particular environment is literally reshaping the human body because of the stresses that yeah, are being put on it. Exactly. So while the others look for things to steal, seeming to believe they're alone, the tech wrecker eventually manages to shut Bart down. Harmony tries to interface with him, calling him by his preferred name, Bartholomew, but he's lost for a while. In the meantime, the wreckers can now see Aster and Harmony and tells him to stay out of their way. I love that both sides, at least initially, are like looking up each other with the facial recognition. They're sort of balanced in that way, you know? They both have their hackers. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that Harmony's name is not an individual thing. It's the name of that particular AI program. Because, like, the hacker guy, like, literally identifies it as, oh, this is a Harmony mm-hmm. AI. So it's interesting that they don't have, they don't have their own name. So I wonder if every, I wonder if every beacon has a Bartholomew. Yeah, you make a good point. I didn't read it that way, but I, I see what you mean. Yeah, well, I was wondering if BART is like an acronym and that, uh, because she called him a beta series, right? So, yes. Yeah. yeah. So then we get the final scene we discussed in the intro episode last week where Halen gets Chick's attention. Chick calls out the others rather than helping him and Halen finds himself in the middle of the crew making a deal to get himself out with the picker in exchange for some cubits and other supplies. But he also wants two minutes with Aster, quote unquote, to express his feelings. So now we know that it's true that Halen is not the beacon keeper, as we were discussing in the last episode. Although it still seems like the ISA, the military, is the one running this beacon, right? I'm not sure who's running this beacon, because the ISA have been remarkably incurious about what happened to Solomon. Mm. Because presumably Helen, unless Helen's got like some voice scrambling software going, he doesn't sound like Stephen Root either yeah. <laughs> well but he's not talking he's talking to them through text messages not voice okay because that's yeah it's too far yeah they they just seem 
they seem remarkably incurious about what's going on at this particular beacon. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm not sure who, if anybody, is in charge. Yeah, well, Battle says later, you know, when they talk about all the other beacons being destroyed, Battles and and uh, Kennedy when she says, you know, we would get life for uh, breaking into a beacon, and Battles like nobody cares anymore. Yeah, that's true. But to be fair, yeah, in terms of them knowing that Halen's not a beacon keeper. Obviously, there's something up with him considering he's locked up, so that makes sense. They would question that. <laughs> um, now, this is where we start to notice the Canadian battle seem to be fighting for influence over Chick, uh, with Canadian discouraging the violence her son seems to be doing to impress her rival for his admiration. Yeah, I find that this whole dynamic the saddest part of this episode between yeah, the three of them. It, the whole thing kind of it had a very um, it had a very pitch black. Um, mm. Chronicles of Riddick, okay. Um, vibes of it, you know, this whole social system of mercenaries and and bounty hunters. It re- it really reminded me. It re- not so much of Chronicles of Riddick, but it really reminded me of Pitch Black and okay. the way the the way the kid in that whose name I'm blanking on kind of looks up to Riddick and wants to be Riddick. I don't think I've seen that. I've seen Chronicles of Riddick, and I think that might be the only one I've seen in the okay. series. Yeah, go and watch Pitch Black. It's a very good example of how to do relatively low-budget sci-fi. Okay. Because there's a very similar dynamic um, playing out in Pitch Black. Yeah. So about the qubits, in the book, they mention the Quantum Tunneler, which is a device we see later in the episode. It's used to communicate across long distances. And it works using entangled particles. And it so you send simple text messages through entangled particles. And the particles are destroyed when the messages are sent. So it's expensive technology to use. So I was wondering, they seem to like talk about qubits just like currency. But I was wondering if it could physically be that, that they trade. I think that, that would make much more sense than a lighthouse having a substantial amount of money on it. Like Yeah. <laughs> That just that just doesn't make sense. And they did. It was next to the quantum tunneler that they get them later in the episode. Particularly when, like, all your basic needs seem to be taken care of by these printers. I don't know what you would need money for. It's not like you need to trade for goods and supplies, particularly. So I think that would make a lot more sense than it being cash. Wait, but you need how do I wonder how the printers work? Because you need to feed them. You know they're not magic. You need to feed them uh, material. Oh, I thought there was. I thought it was kind of like a star, uh, Star Trek transport uh, type deal where it could just rearrange matter. I mean, yeah, these, this doesn't exist in the books, but uh, but I, if it has any basis in reality, then they have to feed it like, okay. ink, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then it is amazing all the different things that I it can suddenly make on a whim. So. <laughs> I saw um I saw a YouTube video of um uh, a universe I think it was MIT some of their postgraduates made like a um a boat not like a rowboat but like a a mm-hmm. motor launch like lifeguard boat out of a 3D printer in about four or five days. Wow, it was all like it was all like printed out of fiberglass in one yeah one one sort of single piece of fiberglass. Wow. Yeah, no, it's cool. There's a a bridge in Amsterdam that was 3D printed, but it took many months. I can't remember how long anymore. (laughs) Okay. 
So did you immediately assume that when Halen said he wanted two minutes alone to settle the score, that there was just an excuse to get away? Or were you, did you think that he might actually go after I, Esther? I thought he might actually go after Esther. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, the show puts you straight on that quite quickly. Okay. It doesn't I, leave that as I thought a the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, leaves but it I ambiguous. Thought, yeah, I thought he might flush her out the airlock. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, because let's face it, Asta, Asta did lock him up. You know, yeah. it's, it's not like their relationship has been plain sailing up until this point. So, yeah, I actually did believe that. I guess I'm inclined to trust both of them just because I know that they're the main characters. You know. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say Lena Headey is wearing quite a bit of plot armor, so yeah, that was exactly. quite dense. <laughs> I will be damned if they don't both make it through the season. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the tech guy manages to shut off Aster's cameras so she can't see them anymore, but it's going to take time to get the hatches open. So Battle makes the deal with Halen and Harmony ticks off what tech they can still control, like the hatches, while Aster arms herself with her knuckle blaster. Halen finds a way into the upper levels through the paneling, literally pushing Chick off of breathing down his neck so that he can go alone. And Harmony manages to ID another one of the wreckers, Battle's real name is Timur Ondi, and he was dishonorably discharged from the military himself for a long list of violent offenses. No surprise. Um, so which Asta replies, that is a very long list of violent <laughs> offenses. I mean, is Battle the worst? Like literally the worst, or yeah, just almost he, the worst? <laughs> yeah, he he does he does seem to he does seem to enjoy his work. Put it that way. Mm. And he does actually kick Chick in the butt, though Chick's been hero worshipping him. So it's uh, it's just like this sad echo of Bart and Solomon. Yeah. But they're all watching on the monitor as Halen drops into the room where Aster is. She knuckle blasts him and they get into a brawl. Uh, if they had popcorn, they'd be eating it right about now, right? Yeah, with the, oh! oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were enjoying that. Uh, except yeah. Kennedy. How much does she hate her life ending up with this crew and watching them corrupt her son? Oh, she absolutely hates it. And I don't suppose we will find out, but I think you could do a really good episode in flashback of how Kinetti and Chick mm. met the rest of this group because mm -hmm. they don't they don't sort of naturally fit into it. No, uh, definitely not. So I so I'd really I'd really like to know how Kinetti fell in with these people. Right. Yeah, and uh, Halen manages to pin Aster behind the desk, out of sight, long enough to calm her down and get the cameras off. Without the intruder's eyes on them, they angrily spit niceties at each other. I, I never tried to kill you. I never tried to save you either. You being alive is a result of me saving my own ass. I like that, like, sort of establishing the relationship where he's like, don't worry, I'm not, you know, you're, I know you're not a damsel in distress. You're just the person who can help me. Also, sorry about your balls. Yeah, thanks for that. Would, would, would you like a tab? Yes, that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're all out. Yeah. Yeah. Which is obviously bullshit because she gives him one later. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can they run out? I don't know. We haven't established. Yeah. We haven't established whether it's possible to run out. Right? Yeah. Like you say, there is some, there's some really funny lines. That yeah. back and forth. That back and forth made me chuckle. Yeah, me too, me too. I also wrote that one down. Yeah. Um, so Harmony's ID'd another intruder now, so Dr. Rohan Kennedy, 
Apparently, the only one going by her own name, the former Minister of Equity on the Elao Colony, population formerly 6 million in the Cigna system, which was destroyed after the disastrous malfunction of the AX-129 beacon arm. FTL freighters were unable to resupply Elao, leading to mass starvation and total civil meltdown. Similar events apparently also happened on another colony called Menelaus 30 years prior. This makes Aster decide talking to Kennedy is their best option. So, Elau, Eshu, Menelaus, whatever mining colony Big Face is from, uh, seems like this world is pretty vast. Think we'll see any non-humans or that they're just colonizing empty planets? Well, they must be fighting somebody because... Mm -hmm. There is a military and there seems to be some sort of ongoing conflict. But it could be other humans. So that either means that that either means it's humans fighting humans or humans mm-hmm. fighting aliens. It has to mm-hmm. be one of those two. Um so I think it's a fifty-fifty shot whether we see aliens or not. Sorry to be a bit cynical about this, but yeah. I wonder if I wonder if the budget's going to stretch to <laughs> too convincing alien. Um, <laughs> oh practical makeup. You can do a lot with practical makeup. Like we said at the beginning of the episode, there are some moments in the second episode where you can where you can see the strengths. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think we need to harp on it too much, but yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and by the way, the star system is Cigna with an N, not Sigma. I double checked, and yeah, this is not a real name that we're using for any star system yet. But then again, we're on the other side of Orion, so who knows what's all out there. Um. Now, the AX-129 beacon arm, so when they refer to a co- arm of colonies, when they're talking about Big Face, that seemed to be like a collection of colonies. So they're saying, I guess, an entire string of beacons leading along a certain route is out. Yeah, that's that's what I took that to mean. Again, not to harp on at this, but I hope they clarify why this is the case, because why couldn't the colony feed it? I understand that it would need some supplies from Earth, probably, but... but surely you would set up a colony so it could at least feed itself. Yeah, no, like, I agree. That that makes no... Like, I really I mean, hope unless they address, you... Yeah, 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 I hope they address I really, it, yeah. I really hope they address that, because otherwise it's a huge... It's a frankly quite gaping hole in this, this universe. Yeah, so... um, But it seems, though, that they there must be somebody knocking out these lighthouses. The fact that it happened to an entire arm of them... And the fact that it happened to that other colony 30 years prior. And now maybe this attack on Beacon 23 is part of it, do you think? Or do you think it's just some independent records? That, that hadn't occurred to me, but maybe. Maybe. That would that would make a lot of sense. I just thought this was collateral damage in whatever war was going on. Or mm. maybe like the, the interstellar equivalent of strategic bombing. Because... Yeah, or you think it's the enemy doing it. Yeah, because obviously, obviously, if these colonies collapse without support from Earth, it would make strategic sense to go after the beacons as like the the hinge point of the the supply lines. Hmm. Well, so here's a thing that um, I noticed. The news report says the collapse of the two colonies, quote unquote, highlights the risks of colonizing the outer rings where the colonies are isolated and depend on supplies. So I almost, I wondered if there could be some sort of rebel faction who was um, who didn't like something about the world order as it is. And so they were knocking these out to get 
them to stop colonizing outer worlds. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, that could that could well be who they're fighting. This could well be a human on human civil war, I suppose. I just hope we find out more information about this because oh, I'm sure uh, yeah, they have to. Yeah, because we have to find out about um about Halen's past. Yeah. So I think this episode like really opens up a lot of different avenues to explore whilst being quite a self-contained, you know, over and done in 45 minutes episode. It kind of reminded me, actually, um, of sort of the best of old school. And by old school, I mean sort of original series, next generation Star Trek. Mm-hmm. In that you have these very self-contained 45-minute episodes. Right. But occasionally they will set up storylines and ideas that will pay off further down the road. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, so Aster still doesn't trust Halen when he suggests a weapons run one level down, but she concedes they have little other choice but to work together. Battle, meanwhile, thinks Halen won't cross him because he's military, which seems incredibly naive, as I bet Battle crossed plenty of people when he re- before he was discharged. And Kennedy points out Halen is clearly no longer in the military either, and Battle uses it as an excuse to be a jerk again. His alter ego should be Jerkface. So, Luke, if you could give new code names to any of the Wreckers, what would they be? Yeah, I think Jerkface is a good one. I like the um, the way um, he sarcastically refers to Kennedy as minister the whole time. Like, <laughs> he's throwing her fate here. You know, her failure yeah. as the minister of this colony back at her the entire time. Um, so, yeah, she's definitely minister. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to go with sad mama. <laughs> <It's> sad. <laughs> and what would you call, yeah. so the tech guy didn't get a name, what would you call him? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. The tech guy doesn't do enough to deserve a name. He just, oh, he just oh come on. He does the most, actually, because he's the one who like gets in, turns off Bart for a while. I guess he does. Um, I don't know. What would you what would you call him? Hacker guts. Hacker guts, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Halen takes Aster to a storage room where he pulls a biotech weapon out of a chest. Turns out he's a living weapon himself, with more implants than he remembers. I counted at least thirty on the body scan they show here when I paused. Yeah, there are a lot of them. Yeah. And he basically plugs himself into charge. Which leads to the interesting question of, like, where is the battery? What's charging? Well, he said that that was the battery that he was plugging into. Okay. That that's what the case was. Okay. So, yeah, and apparently this is this is something that's done as standard to soldiers in this universe. And yeah. they start implants when you sign up. And they put more and more in over time. And Helen was a soldier for a very long time. So he's got a lot of implants. Yeah, so the Beacon Keeper in the book doesn't have these implants, but he says something interesting about why he was in the military so long that seems worth repeating here. Um, This scene takes place in a quiet moment as he's talking to another character who's not in the show yet, getting his glib buzz on. And keep in mind that in the book, he's here voluntarily assigned to be here on his own request. And he thinks to himself, we sit in silence for a long while. It feels good up here, even better with the company. I could do it for another four years. I could re-up. I remember feeling this way in the army, the days that were really good when you'd survived the bad shit and felt kind of invincible and actually deeply happy, but maybe in an unhealthy and manic kind of way. 
and how those were the days when you went to your CEO and saluted and shouted in your best boot camp voice, sign me up for another cert. And how later when the high wore off and you came down from the survivor's rush and your mood went back to normal, you were like, what the fuck did I just do? Uh, so, Luke, you ever have something like that where you hung on to the good moments but regretted it most of the rest of the time? Oh, all the time. <laughs> yeah, you just you remember the, the good stuff and you dismiss the rest. How about you, Alicia? Well, I think, yeah, certain romantic relationships will sound familiar to people where, you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So we also get confirmation in the scene that Halen's a pilot, and which is the same as in the book, but in the book, the war trauma turned him into an alcoholic and he got grounded and rose the ranks in the infantry instead. During the show, Battle is going into full man-baby mode, pushing Kennedy around and stomping and screaming for Halster slash Aslan to open up and let him in. And Chick is sadly backing him up against his mom. Aster finds a nanoblade and pulls it out. What do you think is special or nano about a nanoblade? I don't know. I assumed it's like a... I assumed it's like some sort of big syringe that like you can inject nanobots into into an opponent mm. like to either paralyze them or I was thinking the cooler thing to do would be if you could like use the nanobots to like seize control of your opponent so you've you've essentially got like another ally you'd be like remote piloting them why is it called a blade so yeah that was that was my head cannon it's some like, okay. big syringe you can stick in an opponent and nanobot them. Okay, I like that. <laughs> so Halen's plan at this point is let's split up the crew, luring them to different sections and knocking them down to be handled a two or three at a time. And the record crew runs straight into the trap. They assume Halen <laughs> they assume Halen did it to help them because they had a deal. Did you ever doubt which side Halen was on? No, not really. And yeah. The reason I sort of snickered there is it's like, there might as well be a neon sign saying, this is a trap. You step into you trap now. run into this trap. <laughs> and they charge headlong into it. Yeah. <laughs> but Battle sucks. He's a terrible leader. Yeah, he really, really is. Um, but yeah, Battle also especially sucks because he sends Chick first because Chick says he can't do the other thing, which I guess the other thing is spilling red. Um, Battle yeah, says... killing somebody. Until he spills red, he's expendable. So apparently that's that's a rule of the wreckers. Aster waits until they're spread out on the stairs and has Harmony close the hatches, separating them, Kennedy and her son in front, big face and battle together behind them with the tech back at by the machines. Kennedy asks Chick to help her find what she's looking for, not the cubits, which will be locked up somewhere, but she's sure the company who sent them was going for something much bigger and she means to find that. Battle calls for status and Kennedy refuses to answer him because she doesn't want him to know we're useless. I didn't get that. Like, why would it? Be no, I didn't get, I didn't yeah. get that either. Um, no, that, that doesn't make sense. And also like Battle just standing there for minutes and then going, you know, what's your status? Well, they're not going to tell you. Like, yeah. clearly they either can't hear you or they're not going to tell you. Yeah, Do exactly. something else. Well, he did. This is man baby. You great mode. big yeah. man baby. <laughs> But it does seem like you could just be like, oh, well, look around up here. And then you're doing exactly yeah. what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Bart is still locked away somewhere. Harmony trying to reach out to him, but he's confused, quoting Ophelia from Hamlet. He's quoting the bit where she's mourning her father. Will he not come again? No, no, he is dead. Go to thy deathbed. 
he seems to be mourning Solomon himself. Murder most foul, he says. Techie, Battle, and Big Face head to the mainframe room to try to get control of the system back. Halen is charging up his inner weapon, nearly ready, and upstairs, Kennedy and Sun discover the picture of their family on the screen. Creepy! Harmony's been researching them, of course, and uh, Kennedy insists this life they're leading now is only temporary, and Chick scoffs at her in the face hard. Chick says he's just gotta earn Battle's respect and accuses his mother of killing millions. She decks him, and he pulls a gun on her, which she confiscates, uh, doing the mom, don't you ever do that to me again thing, which apparently just gives Chick ideas for later. Chick, <laughs> Chick yells to battle that they're coming. How he thinks he's going to do that, I'm not sure. Um, so what do you think of Chick after everything? I mean, actually, I thought this scene was, I thought, the, just, to, just to go back to Harmony and Bart for a second. Mm-hmm. That little scene was my favorite oh, of okay. the episode. The Hamlet. Not only because I want my AI romance. Right. I thought it did a really good, like the quote from Hamlet and Ophelia, I thought that was a really clever way of getting into Bart's psyche. Mm-hmm. And why does he know Shakespeare? Yeah, yeah you know, where, where Bart's head is at. And I like the idea of these two. These two AIs interacting mm-hmm. with each other. I think it's a uh, normally you only get one AI on a show, right? So I like the idea that you've got multiple AIs, right? I like that interacting too. with each other. Leaving aside my ardent desire for some AI on AI action, <laughs> I just think it's a. I just think it's a really. It's going to rub their circuits. Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting concept. Uh-huh. Of having AI talk to AI, so yeah, that was my In terms of and and Chick, how they represent it visually is cool too. With like, it almost looks like a quantum tunneling thing when Harmony's trying to go in looking to find where Bart is. Yeah, in terms of Chick and Kinetti, Kinetti is clearly the brains of the operation, but Chick has a much better sense of you know their situation and what they're and what they're facing. Because yeah, mm-hmm. this idea that this is just temporary, this isn't their life. It clearly is, mm. and Kinetti clearly chose to be here, and she chose to bring Chick with her. Right. So I yeah. think Chick has a much better sense of what else what's, she re- what's really going on here. Yeah, I was sad to see the picture where they look so happy. R.I.P. Daddy and the two daughters. So yeah, this is just seeing like they don't even really talk about the girls much, but you just see like there were two girls, and they're not here now. So ruh-roh. yeah. Um, Chick says later on in the episode that they wanted to leave. They wanted to try and get away. Mm-hmm. Dad and the girls. Mm-hmm. And Kinetti was kind of the one insisting that they stay on the colony and right. try to sort of ride it out until they get resupplied. Mm-hmm. So it does make me wonder whether Dad and the girls did make it off world, you know, did, did, did make a run for it. I hope they did. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Hacker Guts gets into the mainframe, and Battle says to lock the dock so that Halen can't steal their ship. He sends Big Face to guard the stairs, and he goes to flush out Halen. Meanwhile, Harmony wires Aster in to talk to Kennedy, with Chick, of course, hearing every word. Aster tells Kennedy that she works for the QTA, which raises Halen's eyebrows, and Kennedy says they were also hired by the QTA. So, who TF do we think the QTA is? <laughs> I have no idea who the QTA is, but it made me think of that that line from um, No Country for Old Men, 
mm-hmm. uh, when Anton Chigurh goes and sees the accountant, and he, he said he thought if there were more people looking for the case, and Chigurh goes, no, 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 that's foolishness. You pick the one right instrument, and it's like, you don't yeah. send multiple people after these rocks, they're just going to get each other's way. Yeah, so I'm wondering, though, is the QTA, like, the group responsible for shutting down the beacons? Maybe. It sort of struck me that they were probably, like, some, some like, corporate conglomerate thing. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I was thinking rebels, you are thinking... Uh... Yeah, I was thinking, like, evil corporation type. Thing. Okay. Um, Halen seems less secure in his odds with them than with the ISA, who he deserted. So interesting. And we also know that they sent Aster and then they sent this other group after her. So that uh, I don't know if that means Aster's expendable to them or if they thought she was lost or. Yeah, that just strikes me as deeply stupid because these two groups are clearly going to get in each other's way. Although the other group was not supposed to enter the beacon. That's true, I suppose. They were just supposed to collect the cargo that spilled out in the wreck. So. Why, yeah, why was Aster asleep on that ship that wasn't going to stop here for, I won't harp on that. Um, But I'm wondering what Aster's role is with the QTA. Like, she seems to imply she has some pool, but then the fact they sent this other group after her makes me think, is she expendable? I mean, it's not to harp on stuff, but it's that point in the show where you can't quite work out, is this a plot hole or is this a mystery? Or is this a story point that's going to get developed Mm -hmm. later on? And we're just going to have to... We're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm going to try to just not worry about it until it's either answered or not. (laughs) Yeah. Astra ended up there. That's what's important. So Kennedy finds the glowing rocks in their irresponsibly translucent net bag. And Halen, um, his internal weapon now fully charged, says he's going after the wrecker's ship, even if he has to kill everyone else to get it. Hacker Guts finally gets control of the hatches, opening them, and all mayhem breaks loose. Halen dodges a shot and then takes out Hacker Guts with a single backward stab, and then he fights Big Face in the gravity of the floors and non-gravity of one part of the stairwell. Here, Battle apparently gets stuck for a bit, I guess. Aster disconnecting Hacker Guts from the machine as Halen does some ass-kicking, eventually snapping Big Face's neck backward to take her out, just in time for Battle to emerge. Energy Gun blasts him from behind, knocking him out. So. Did you think, we already discussed that the the gravity fight was underwhelming. They probably should have just seen that was not working and cut it. <laughs> yeah, I think the less said the better here, mm-hmm, but yeah. it did make me snicker and not in a, not in a good way, not yeah. in the way it meant to make me snicker. I mean, it was, just, yeah, it, was, it was cool in concept, but indeed, I think this might be a show where the production design is very on point, you know, it really builds this world, the costume design, uh, everything, and you know, they should less is more when it comes to the CGI because they clearly, I mean, they obviously spent a lot on building this uh, yeah. atmosphere, the the beacon itself and the space around it. So Yeah, I think we'll just draw a line under that and move on. But yeah, did you think anyone would survive at this point? No. 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 Not even Chick? No, not even Chick because they've done the classic bad guy thing of, don't do that. Yeah. This is a trap. This is yeah. going to be a trap. Oh, we're going to head it. We're going we're to split I mean, up. But that is Battle's uh, MO, and Kennedy's just like on her own mission. Yeah. She would have survived if not for her. Well, we'll get to that. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, maybe. 
So meanwhile, Kennedy and her son are inspecting the glowy rocks upstairs when the floor opens up and Aster emerges to talk. She says she's from Menelaus, the other colony that starved. Her mom got her out, so she understands Kennedy. Uh, do you believe her? Do you think she's really from Menelaus? <laughs> Who knows? I mean, maybe, but it, it's an obvious lie to tell. To uh-huh. try and sort exactly. of try and sort of create empathy. Right. Um it's too convenient, I feel like. It is it is a little bit convenient. Um no, I don't think I don't think I do believe it, but this is the thing. Aster is such a practiced liar that it's actually quite difficult to believe anything yeah. she says about anything. That's true. <laughs> but she says she can offer Kennedy something better than she'd get from the rocks. She tells Kennedy to send Chick back to their ship without the rocks, and Kennedy tells her son, who's never been able to spill red, to just go ahead and shoot anyone who gets in his way. Battle sees Chick, and also sends him to the ship to get more weapons. Chick has guilt all over his face at being given this out, knowing Battle's about to be betrayed, but when Battle is his usual jackass self, he goes with a scowl on his face, and Canadian Aster keep talking. Aster says her mom was supposed to follow her out, but didn't. So, yeah, this story at least directly contradicts the story about her sister. But I think, yeah, we both kind of agree the sister one's probably true. This Menelaus one, probably not. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, Kennedy says Chick is mad at her because she didn't listen to her husband when he wanted to just leave that place. She believed more supplies would come and that she could save everyone if she stayed. But the supplies never did come. She says they had to do things she never imagined to stay alive. You think that means they ate dad and the girls? Oof. Yeah, I did wonder if that would have something to do with the... Yeah, yeah. now that you put it that way, I felt like there was something shady with the sisters, especially that they don't talk about it. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, could be. There was already another reference in the episode to cannibalism from Big Face. Yeah. So, yeah, this is also where we see the Quantum Tunneler, or the QT, as it's regularly called in the book. It looks like a tiny computer from the 80s, um, and yeah, it's used to send basic messages, text messages across fast spaces instantly using quantum entanglement. So in my opinion, this is like low-key, the coolest piece of tech, but it's hard to make it look cool, I guess, for most TV audiences. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, no, I thought it was pretty cool. And I think this is very much a show where less is more, you know, production design. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. And I like the idea that over this kind of immense distance, you would need to keep the messages really simple and really short. Well, yeah, I mean, it's because the way that it communicates is so you have entangled particles, like we could have one here on Earth and you would have to take the, we'll call it a qubit, because until I'm told otherwise, I'm going to assume that the qubits are the units they use. So you would take the qubit from, you know, entangle these particles and take it with you to this distant place and they're still entangled so that when you change the properties of one, it immediately changes the other one no matter where it is across distances. So, and then destroyed in the process. That's really cool. But anyway, Kennedy says her colony's council had one, called it a very quick way to find out no one cares. Aster gives her a bag of cubits, something the QTA apparently won't care about, but ISA would, in exchange for her taking Halen with them when they go. So yeah, the cubits, it looks like they're solid objects, they clink, but I'm thinking these are like storage units, storage cases. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Because they're kind of big too. Yeah, they're not. They're, they're not, not like they're not. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they're probably what they come in. So if yeah, if Aster had succeeded in sending Halen away, I'm wondering if she would have gotten in trouble with the QTA. Like I was wondering if she kept him earlier because she knew that she would get in trouble if she didn't, and that she was risking her own neck now by saying like, "No, get him out of here." Yeah, or I mean, alternatively, she might want to get rid of him because she doesn't want any witnesses to what she's going to do next. Mm. In terms of stealing the rocks, yeah, I mean, it seemed like she wanted to keep the rocks for the QTA, like she really was getting them for them. Yeah, but like, I'm just thinking, if she finds out that the QTA has sent this team of wreckers, mm-hmm. like, how many other people have the QTA sent after these rocks? It might make more sense from Asta's point of view to keep the rocks for herself mm-hmm. and see what she can extract from the QTA or or other people to, you know, pay for these rocks. Because mm-hmm. clearly clearly somebody has identified them as being very valuable. Right. Um, so downstairs, Battle is rooting around looking for weapons, I guess, and he sees Kennedy leaving with a bag from his hidden location. So he goes after Aster, waving his gun, but saying he just wants to talk. They always run, he says. This guy, this guy really never realizes he's the problem, does he? <laughs> no, you're the problem. It's you. It's yes, you exactly. He, he needs me, Taylor Swift. Um, so while Battle is chasing Aster around, Halen wakes up to find Chick running to the docking bay. Chick pulls the gun, and Halen tells him he killed two of his crew, but Kennedy runs up before things can escalate further. She points out Halen could have killed Chick already if he wanted to, she tells Halen about the deal, but he won't leave without Aster, and she wants to stay with the rocks. Would you, if you were Halen at this point, would you stay or would you go? I well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go with them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I would, you would rather I stay with I'd, Aster than go with them. I think I'd rather stay with us. I'd rather stay with the devil I knew, frankly, than okay. these, than these people. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, so on a scale of one to a ref favoring the Wrexham Football Club over Notts County, how much of a dumbass is Chick being this episode? Oh, he's, he is being a 10. And when well done for the reference, he's been following my Twitter feed. Yeah, but he is, be, he is being quite a considerable dumbass. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, definitely a 10. Yeah. Uh, Chick's mad at Mommy again for cutting a deal, so when his idol battle starts calling for him to bring the weapon charges that he was sent for, the argument escalates, and Chick pulls the gun on Kennedy again, only this time he pulls the trigger. His face showing it was a surprise even to himself. He's finally spilled red, done what Battle said he needed to do to earn his respect, and it was his own mom. He leaves her body and all the cubits spilled around it with one last long, sad look. Uh, so, yeah, this was the saddest death in the episode for me. What about you? Yeah, I mean... Or the only sad one, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kennedy probably deserved it, but she didn't deserve to go out like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who the actor who plays Chick is, but the look on his face yeah. is just... Jalen Root or something, I think it was, yeah. And then uh, Halen runs across a bag of glowing rocks and he starts hearing things when he looks at them and he faints. 
so this seems to be a somewhat twisted reference to the book, I think, him looking at the rocks and hearing things. It's completely different, but I'm curious if there will be any more similarities as we see this play out. So I'm not going to say anything about the book version. Um, Aster has closed herself in the airlock behind the gunproof glass, and Battle is trying to get in to get to her, only it turns out it was Harmony the whole time, making herself look like Aster. Aster comes up behind him and calls his name, and when he turns around, she starts stabbing him repeatedly in the belly as he tries choking her, but the stabbing works faster than the choking, and now he's dead too. Uh, what did you think his goal was going after her? Like, just to kill her? Or, like, why doesn't he just take this stuff and go? I can't work out. Yeah. Like, at this point, it has to be pure revenge because yeah. there's, no other, there's no other explanation. I mean, frankly, if he, ha if he had an ounce of common sense at this point, you just had, you just cut your losses and head back to the ship and yeah. put, it down, <laughs> put it down. It's a bad day. He doesn't seem um, like a common sense kind of guy. He seems yeah, consistent I with his character. I did like I did like the fact that Harmony can uh, put on multiple skins. I think that that's mm, interesting. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting feature that that particular AI has. I wonder if she can do other people too. Like I could see why she would have the ability to clone Aster because she would have programmed and scanned herself in or whatever. But I wonder if she can just fast scan and do other people. Yeah, I hope so because that would be an, that could be an interesting plot device. <laughs> Um, yeah, I also wondered why didn't Esther just attack him from behind? Like she was like turned him around so that he could choke her. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this episode like that that it's not a plot hole, yeah. but it, it just doesn't quite it just doesn't quite make sense. It's a little bit clunky. Yeah, but I overall I quite enjoyed it, so I didn't mind. Yeah, I think the thing is the characters are well enough drawn and it mm -hmm. moves along. That's it, yeah. It moves it moves along at a fast enough pace. Right. That unless you're watching the episode multiple times like we do to prepare for these shows, you're probably not gonna notice it. It's true. On the the first run through. So So Battle R.I.P. As the life leaves Battle's body, he drops his dead gun into that gravityless ladder well, where it and a drop of his blood Float. A now very collected looking chick seeing this takes the charge out of his gun and drops it down there next to it. Uh, why do you think he did this? Like, to, was this to make a point that he wasn't going to kill her again? Battle sent him to, to fetch more charges. Right, well, he's not going to use it now. <laughs> like an FU? And like, yeah, like an FU, basically. Yeah, because I guess he did love Mommy more than Battle in the end because he didn't seem bothered by Battle's death at all. No. Um, but yeah, his motions have left the building in general now when he goes back up to collect the cubits scattered around his mother's corpse, and he boards the ship with a swagger and takes off into the depths of space. So do you think we'll ever see Jake again? I hope so. I'd like to figure out, I'd like to know where he went and what his, uh, what his next plan was, because he's got the cubits. Yeah. So he's got, he's got something to trade. Well, um, yeah, he might just be taken off for his new life. You know, maybe maybe he reports back to the QTA and he gets assigned to it. another team of wreckers or something. But I, I'd like to think Chip was okay. He didn't. He yeah. didn't deserve. He didn't deserve this fight. He's a nice kid. Yeah, he just wrong place, wrong time. I hope he's not too like broken now that he's going to become more like Battle or something. Um, yeah. So I have to confess, I looked on IMDb at like the cast list for the rest of the season. Which doesn't always mean something. It's not always accurate, but I have to say he's not on after this episode. So I'm not okay, holding well, my maybe, breath, maybe, but it maybe would be he's bonus. Come, maybe he's coming back in season two. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. 
So Bart finally responds to Harmony. He's disoriented from the hacking, but he's back now. He asks if events were resolved in a satisfactory manner, and she says they were resolved. Aster applies a derma patch to an unconscious Halen, so I guess they weren't out. <laughs> and he wakes up. He notices Battle's body, Aster's bloody hands, how shaken she seems, and he scooches up next to her to comfort her. He tells her he never wanted to leave. He doesn't want to be alone anymore. And they wait for the QTA to arrive, I guess. Did you get about to kiss vibes from them, looking at each other's lips as they were talking and stuff? Yeah, I mean, I kind of hope they don't go that direction with Alan and Asta because yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't feel true to either one of their characters. Well, I mean, but they could just be looking for comfort. Yeah, I think they would work much better as very good platonic friends rather than rather than as a couple, to be honest. And anyway, let's let's face it, the couple in this show is clearly Harmony uh, <laughs> Harmony and Bart. We're shipping them. Was, I, I am definitely their, shipping Harmony. With and their Bart. Uh, couple name, Bartmany. Bartmany, yeah. <laughs> Bartmany. <laughs> or Harmo No, that's harder to Harm say. Yeah. Harmony, Harmony, Harmony. Yeah. <laughs> no, Bart is much easier. Bart is much easier. Um, so what do you think about the end of the second episode? Do you, did it hook you enough that you would come back for the third if we weren't doing this? Yeah, like I say, I, I, I think I'd say the same for the second episode. Um, but I said for the first, just more so. Mm -hmm. This is very much a character-driven show, mm -hmm. not a plot-driven show. And I think to be honest, if, yeah. you, if you think too much about the plot, it, you you kind of see a lot of that. You kind of see a lot of the holes in it. But it's it, you know, it's a show that moves along at a really fast clip. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're not focused too much on the holes in the plot. And I think not just not just Lee Hedy and Stephen James in this episode. But the whole the whole cast of all the wreckers, mm -hmm. you don't find out all that much about the characters, but particularly Battle and Kennedy in this kind of um, battle for Chick's soul is quite, mm -hmm. is, is quite well done. Yeah. Um, so yeah. The character is work is strong. Yeah, this is definitely a carry. This is definitely a show that is being carried by its characters mm -hmm. rather than by its plot. Yeah. Yeah, which is funny because it does, because none of the characters are in the book, like I said, except I guess, uh, yeah, Halen, but in a slightly different form. And I'm still trying to figure out who Aster might line up to in far, as far as book characters. I'm guessing they might combine at least two of them. But it is they do take world-building elements from it, and, and it seems like there's going to be thematic elements. So, yeah, it's, it's just interesting that the characters are the strongest part, and that's not from the book. But it does feel like an inspiration from the book, at least, if uh, an adaptation with an asterisk. <laughs> inspired by more than adapted from right? yeah but there there is uh when you look at the details there it's a lot that they're taking and you know it might it might start looking more and more like it as we go i'll, I'll be keeping an eye out for it okay that's interesting uh so okay we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll share our lightning round of final impressions uh for these first two episodes then get into the feedback from the community see how other people are responding to the show Plus, talk through what's coming up on this feed and the network. The Quantum Tunneler has new messages. So, before we get into the feedback, uh, Luke, a lightning round. I'm just going to throw questions at you, and you just throw answers back at me. Okay. Uh, so, 
Who's the most trustworthy character so far? Harmony. Okay. The least? I agree, by the way. The least? Uh, Asta. Yeah, reluctantly I have to say that too. Um, best kill in the second episode? Um, the, the, the tech guy, because I do like the, the firing the gravity gun and Helen dodging out the way and then, yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I guess I have to agree with that. Although, of course, the Canadian one had the most impact, but that was like the coolest one to watch. Yeah, yeah. with the, the backward stab. Um, the lamest death. We probably agree on oh, this one uh, too. Oh, yeah. Um, big face? Big face, yeah. Yeah. I expected yeah more from that death. Sorry, it just didn't work. I feel like, yeah, we could have, from that actress, we probably could have gotten more awesome fight scene. But anyway, oh yeah. well. Um, most intriguing mystery going forward. What happened to Solomon? Where yeah, is okay. Solomon? Yeah. And piece of world building you want to know more about? Uh, from both episodes, I want to know more about the why the colonies need constant resupply from right. Earth. Because it just feels... That feels either like something that's going to be explained in a really cool and interesting way or a gigantic plot hole. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't work out which at the moment. All right. I guess my most intriguing mystery is um, the rocks and how they're affecting Halen. And the world building I want to know most about is the QTA. I want to know what the QTA is, what they do, what their deal is. All right, well, getting into other people's thoughts, uh, we first, we have some feedback from Abby. Abby broke down the Beacon 23 book with me in the book club, so link in the show notes again. Um, Abby says, just watched the first episode of Beacon. Looked so good. The inside, the outside, the space environment, and wow, that ship docking was amazing. Also, this is definitely only inspired by the book and basically a different story, but fine on its own. GWB meditation and man in lighthouse art, a nice touch. Evil AI Bart reminded me of Miss Minutes, uh, which is a character in Loki. Uh, watch the second episode too. Some very cool tech there. The no grab fight and the pulse guns, visually great. So that the fight works for her. Okay. Um, so he got implants, huh? Kids spilling red was brutal. Yeah. These rocks uh, seem to influence Halen in some way. Wonder where this is going. I still want Cricket. Cricket's a character from the book, and I want Cricket too. <laughs> and yeah, and I'm wondering w with the rocks for book readers. I'm wondering if there's any tie with Rocky here, um, with the fact that he's hearing voices. Yeah. Any thoughts, Luke? Uh, yeah. No. I mean, I'm glad that the zero gravity fight worked for Abby. Until I'm told otherwise, I think the rocks are interfering with Hallen's implants in some yeah. way or interacting. Some with sort of radiation they're giving off yeah. or something. Okay. I think that's what we're meant to understand is going on. Okay. Um, so Mark at Markall84 on Twitter says, It was surprisingly good. There is still so much to learn about this show. What's so special about the rocks? Who else has implants? Who killed Solomon? I don't think I have a favorite character yet. Definitely not the Beacon's AI. He's a bit too rogue and kill happy. Who's yours? Well, I think ours is Bart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you say he's a bit rogue and kill happy. But the, I mean, he is, yeah. Yeah, but the poor poor AI has been tortured by Alan for an unknown period of time. I think he has the right to be a little bit out of sorts, to be honest. Yeah, I don't. I still think that uh, it's Solomon messing with him because Solomon was so mean to him. Halen's got to be better than that. 
Or maybe Halen edited the video. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we definitely did get. I doubt it, we but... definitely did get the the jerk version of Stephen Root. Yeah. Because there there are yeah. several different character like archetypes that Stephen you get with a Stephen okay. Root performance, and this was definitely like iffy jerk version of um, <laughs> Stephen Root. Can't wait to see more of it. I wonder if he behaves that way toward everyone, or if we'll see him interact with anyone else. Yeah. Uh, so for Elisa at fur underscore Elisa says lots of mystery, love the space tech and idea of personal AI. The technology is really cool. The world is very different from anything I watched before. Lena Headey is great. It does give me dark Star Trek vibes. Uh, interested to see where it goes. I have questions about that future. How did they get there? Why beacons? Steve and James played a PTSD soldier in that Julia Roberts, Sam Esmail show season one of homecoming. Hope he's not getting typecasted all in all good start. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I like dark star Trek. Yeah. I think that's a good way to describe the show. And like, I think you can definitely tell that one of the producers has worked in the star Trek universe. I think there is a definite Trek feel to the way the universe has been set up so i i like dark star trek i'm i'm, I'm appropriating that as a, as a description for the show i think that i think that really encapsulates what they're trying to get across no i think that's perfect too um and if, about the um stephen james getting typecasted my friend precious her royal bubbliness at jdite underscore she jumped in and said aha i knew he and the character looked familiar i couldn't place it till i saw your comments Yes, he played a soldier suffering PTSD and a victim of experimental drug used on him as well in Homecoming. Uh, so I, I haven't seen this. You, have you watched Homecoming? No, I haven't. But not only not only does uh, Helen suffer from PTSD, but his experimental drug use is quite high in the show as well. <laughs> so maybe he is a typecast. Um, yeah, I, I think Stephen James plays... Um, plays a really good part because Lena Headey is such a Lena Headey is such a strong mm -hmm. screen presence that it would be it would be quite easy for Asta's character to overwhelm Alan. So I think that the fact that that doesn't happen speaks very well of of Stephen James's ability as an actor because Lena Headey is a very you know is a very strong screen presence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he he stands up to it. Yeah. Yeah, they must have done chemistry tests. Um, yeah, and yeah. So um, Precious continues. I've seen the first two episodes of Beacon Twenty Three, and I gotta say, I'm not drawn into the story. Uh, don't have an idea of what's going on yet, and it's a little too slow. But I'll try to see the next episode to see how it goes. So far, I'm intrigued by Halen, especially with how he switches from someone reliving some trauma or something to survival mode to him saying he doesn't want to be alone. It's an entire spectrum that I don't understand yet, but I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I think that thing about you don't understand yet. I think the I think Halen doesn't understand what he wants. Yeah, that's fair too. I think it's impossible for the audience to follow Halen because he doesn't know what he wants between uh, any given moment. And this is a you know, I think this is a guy trying to work out what he wants. Mm -hmm. Um. I've got to say, I don't agree at all about it moving slowly. I think it moves at a really cracking pace, to be honest. Mm -hmm. In fact, if anything, if anything, I think probably, certainly for the first episode, it probably moved a little bit too quick. Yeah, okay. Um, 
like you say, I would have liked to get a bit more of a sense of Hallen's routine as a beacon keeper. Mm, right, okay. Before we jump straight into the action. Okay. Yeah, no, I understand like feeling I don't know, if you don't get if if the questions that it leaves at the end doesn't uh grip you, then you're sort of like, Well, why am I continuing? But um yeah, no, I'm curious. Uh I'm curious to hear, Precious, what you think of episode three and if that makes you want to keep going or if you say this one's just not for me, which is fair. Um, okay, so from Ladartha at Ladartha, we have haven't read the book. Show has what I need. High quality, fully committed actors, well-written script with believable surprises, great visuals. One thing I noticed, because it's rare, no over-explaining of the tech, the future, etc. We figure it out for ourselves, and I like that. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah. I tend to prefer my sci-fi these days that keeps the, um, the science bubble to a minimum, to be <laughs> honest. Okay. Um... Uh, yeah, so I, I like the fact that they they don't feel the need to explain how the TFL works or things like that. Yeah, I, I yeah, like I thought I thought that was kinda cool. I like the science uh I like science in general. Like I like to, you know, figure out what's how it's working in the show, but I think that they they give us enough context that we can just kind of piece it together. You know, like we've been guessing about the qubits might be totally off, but they give us enough yeah. to play with that idea. Um like the especially with the bio weapon stuff. Yeah. We don't need to know more than they've told us and shown us with like the squishy tubes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um so by the way, I also post on the uh Beacon twenty three subreddit uh to collect feedback. If you want to leave feedback there, I'll leave a link in the show notes. I do not run that subreddit myself, FYI, but we did hear from the head moderator there, Farius. And Farius says, I like the show. But I would have preferred that they stuck to the book plot more. My least favorite change is him not being sanctioned or assigned there and basically making him into an AWOL soldier instead of an honorable war veteran. My most favorite change would be the addition of the AIs. So agree on the AIs. And yeah, as far as I think there's, yeah, there's, I'm curious about the fact that they, that he's not there being honored. Like he was, okay, so in the book, he has a medal and he's like feeling guilty about the fact that everyone sees him as a hero and he doesn't feel like a hero. So that dynamic is not present in the show at this point. So, okay. Yeah. I understand that. I understand that criticism for sure. Okay. Interesting. And yeah. So also from um, the Lorehounds discord and you'll find that link in the show notes as well. Uh, we sub zero said I watched episode one last night and I enjoyed it. Lena Headey is just so compelling in everything she does. I've never seen the other guy, but I think he did a pretty good job as well. I was sufficiently hooked to keep watching. Although full disclosure, when it comes to sci-fi slash fantasy, my bar is pretty low laughing emoji. I've not read the book, so I'm just taking the story as is definitely silo vibes. When you look down the stairwell. Yeah, there's definitely a, uh, Hugh Howie likes himself a spiral staircase. Um, um, but that's not really how it's described in the book, actually. Oh, okay. It's more like, okay. I, I had the impression it was more like ladders, at least. But like I said, it's, you know, it's, in the book, it's much smaller because it's just a place for one guy. It's not like this whole big station yeah. just for one guy alone. I don't know as I'd like to spend years there, but I'd certainly like to spend a weekend on the beacon. It, it, yeah. it, looks, it seems really peaceful and like 
the whoever does the interior design for the the beacons, you know, deserves to win some award because it looks it's got a real like nice minimalist vibe to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. So the beacon in the books, it's it feels bigger than, for instance, the space stations we have in our reality right now. Uh, and it, and it's just for one person, so it's an upgrade from that, but more closer on that scale, where you know he's kind of sliding through, okay, different uh, hallways and okay. Yeah. Um. So Zatoichi says, I just finished the second episode and I'm all in. Even though they're very different shows, the tone and art direction gives me vibes like The Expanse did. That's high praise because I love The Expanse. I do wonder if the AIs are a little too human. My theory: the rocks are like a narcotic. Big money on getting high. Laughing emoji. What do you think? Are the rocks uh, drugs? Well, I mean, come on. The, 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 I hope not. There are enough drugs floating around <laughs> and floating around this beacon to begin with. Everybody, everybody is tripping balls on this space station. But it's like Brave New World, you know? Yeah. Or, or like Valley of the Dolls. You've got your pills to get you up. you got your pills to put you to bed. That could be quite cool. Um, About the AIs being too human, I get what that, I get the criticism of that, but I don't share it. Like I think the mm-hmm. AI I think the AIs are the are probably the two most interesting characters at the moment. Yeah. I do tend to like humanesque humanesque you know, robot characters. Like I love data yeah. from Star Trek and I uh and also, you know, it's the same with Orville, uh my favorite character and yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that was our feedback for the week. I will put up um, after... So we're going to be doing the next three episodes together, episodes three through five. So I'll be collecting feedback for those three episodes together um, about a week before or a few days before we record. I'll put up a, a tweet on Twitter and I will ask for feedback in the Discord and on the Reddit. And uh, if you want to send in feedback on an episode by episode basis as you watch before that, please feel free to get in touch with me on any of those platforms. And we have our email address, woolshiftdustpodcast at gmail.com. That link will be in the show notes, too. So send your feedback about Beacon 23 or anything else we're covering at any time. So, yeah, the next three episodes are titled Why Can't We Go On as Three is episode three appropriately. God in the Machine is four, and Rocky is five. Luke, any predictions for these three episodes based on the titles? No, but I love God in the Machine. I, I, I'm curious as to what that is. Mm. No, that, that, that is a very Star Trek-y title, by the way, in <laughs> terms of dark Star Trek. There's Ex Machina. Yeah. I wonder, I, I hope that's not a plot prediction. Or maybe, I don't know, I guess I don't mind Yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> if it is. So we'll see, we'll see. Yeah. I'm wondering who the third is in three. So can't we go on as three? So we've got Helen and Aster, presumably, and one of the AI. Like, who do they want to leave out? Yeah. Is it Bart wanting to leave out Harmony? or Justice for Bart. <laughs> or actually, maybe Bart wants to leave out Helen. Uh, yeah, maybe Bart wants to leave out Helen, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, book readers, I want to know if you think the AI might play a similar role to crickets in the book. And yeah, and the third episode is also for book readers. It's called Rocky. Rocky's a character from the show. I don't, yeah, it doesn't look like we're going to get that character, but it, obviously that makes me very curious about episode five. So yeah, so it's going to be two weeks off for vegan coverage, and then we'll be back with those three episodes together. But in the meantime, here in this feed, we will be breaking down the Dune novel. 
And in that Dune novel breakdown, we will be ranking the most iconic scenes based on feedback collected from a whole bunch of readers. So you can already catch up with the intro ep uh, where we we talk about Frank Herbert's life, how and why this story was created, and what we'll be covering in the Total Dune series, which we're stretching out between now and when the movie releases in the spring. And um, by the way, we also mentioned our three-body coverage, but I wanted to report that the three-body TV show on Netflix is being moved to March. So no longer in January, that will be in March, and that's when our coverage will take place too. March is already getting busy. Yeah. In the book club, you'll find the breakdown for this book, Beacon 23. And then next up is the second book in the Silo series, Shift. Uh, so that link in the show notes. And you can find us on Twitter to share your thoughts on Beacon 23 or anything else we're covering. Um, you'll find me at Alicia CB. You'll see the, find that in the show notes. And Luke? So I am Luke Midup on the Dead Bird app, formerly known as Twitter. I'm also Luke Midup on Blue Sky. Um, I do a podcast with a couple of friends from uni called It Could Be Said. Uh, we look at British politics, we look at international politics, and occasionally we look at sport. I think we're recording over the weekend, doing a special on the surprising return of David Cameron as uh, Foreign Secretary. Oh, it's right. Like, it's, like we all yeah. hit, it's like we all hit our heads and woke up in 2010. Nobody had that on their bingo cards. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and we'll we'll link that in the show notes as well. And uh, on the Lorehound Speed, uh, we just wrapped up our Loki coverage with the emotional season finale. That was a particularly, I don't want to say fun episode, but a particularly deep episode. And next up, we are recording our Marvels coverage this weekend. There's also one shots coming up for the movies The Creator, Napoleon, Rebel Moon, and uh, the the guys in Maryland are doing the Book Nook and Star Wars movie watch throughs. Uh, next up for Star Wars is Solo and the Holiday Special. <laughs> and uh, also there's Properly Howard. They are between seasons now, but you can catch up on their previous Cocoon of Horror coverage and also their Properly Howard coverage where they broke down a bunch of classic sequel movies. But yeah, honestly, you don't have to have seen the movies to just like have a good time with these guys. Uh, and they are teaming up with David and John to cover Severance. So they're going through the first season right now and then for season two whenever that comes out the four of them will be joining up together to cover it as for us we'll see you back in this feed soon with more beacon 23 and dune and until then we'll be getting our gwib buzz on while we stare at photos of lighthouses bye everybody Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.